I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello! Listen, you smell something? Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm Josh. I'm Chanstar. We're filmmakers, we're fans, and we are finally out of the shit mess that was 2017. Oh, what a year. It was a very shit political year politically, I think. Oh, politically. Socially, economically. Economically, trumpically. Environmentally. (laughs) Spiritually. (laughs) But pretty decent for movies, hey. Decent well, for hey, movies. hey. That's right. Today is our probably supersized top films. Jumbo <laughs> sized thick. I like you said it top film. She didn't top. specify a number and I no. wonder why. Well, because our top films may have changed. We have a very special guest on. We have our producer slash uh, frequent guest, Zane C. Weber. How many times do I have to come on before I'm not special anymore? <laughs> well, you like, you like always very special guests, frequent guest saints, <laughs> frequently special, often mediocre guests. <laughs> Look, I have a lot of opinions about lists, so this is the episode. So, what's on. your top ten opinions about lists? <laughs> <laughs> they're good. They're exhausting. Not enough people understand the power of a good list. Do I need to go on? Because I do have 10. Okay. But you're okay, all looking no, at me no. blankly. It started this as a joke bit and landing. now you're like actually taking it into it's an out of control. It's like an academically accurate <laughs> thing of a list in a list. It's listception. Um, so well, Josh has said 2017 in, in movies, it was good, right? This hasn't been a bad year. Yeah. I think, I think it's been one of the... The boldest years for movies, I think studio movies especially, studios have actually bankrolled stuff that I, I reckon they'd never touch. Um, especially Marvel, they've given directors more a little bit more agency now to have do they? Like, like slightly. Okay, Doctor Strange. No, that was last year. Anyway, that was that the is year last before. Year. That was the year before. 2016. Yeah. 2016 or 2017? No, Doctor Strange was 2016. Oh my god! Oh, okay. We have so many. We've been yeah, pretty sure. Was, what were the Marvel movies this year? There was uh, last year was uh, Guns of the Galaxy. And Spider-Man. And Thor. And Thor 3. Okay. I I, I agree on Thor 3 to an extent on Thor 3. And That's why I say slightly because I feel like they've going, they're getting a little bit like less constricting like they're not doing, mm. you know. I don't know. But uh, I think well, like studios bankrolled some pretty daring stuff too. We've had hits. Diversity has been a huge bit, but it's like it's <laughs> coming to the end of the year. A lot of the award stuff is like there's not, Every Any, year, though. Every yeah, year. Well, specifically actresses. There's no black, no women of color leading movies. There's, it's very, the pool is very small as opposed to previous years where there was more. Um, but yeah, I, how is it in? I mean, we know we're like a movie and TV podcast, but we rarely ever talk about TV. I think because we all just like make movies and watch movies more a bit. But on TV, do you, has it been good, bad TV wise? What do you think? I reckon it's also been pretty like decent. Like some of like I've. 
mention one off my list, but like it's just the good place, especially. It's the like, good place was a really good addition. Really good I'm pretty sure the good place is the only TV show that I've watched this year that came out this year. Uh, did you watch? There was The Handmaid's Tale, which Not I loved. I like Didn't. it. But I can't watch it. It makes me too angry. Yeah, it's, and that's a good thing. It's like, a really a, good. It's well so done. well made as well. I think Reed Morano yeah. has knocked it out of the park. Um, but I, I guess should we do a what have you been watching? I think has anyone got? I stuff? mean, yeah, because okay, we start every episode. We didn't really start. I almost didn't, and then I realized, and I'm like, we're not having a repeat <laughs> of those last two episodes. Um, what have we ask? What have you been watching? Uh, let's go to Zane. What have you been watching this week? I have recently binged. All of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Nice. Beautiful. Um, How did you do 11 seasons? I don't injected. sleep. So that's what I did. That's my next comedy show to work through. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it's like great. a politically incorrect Seinfeld. But it's not politically incorrect for the sake of like, oh, look how controversial. Like they're, they're, it's kind no, of, they're just terrible people. Yeah. Like they take the terribleness like of the, Seinfeld... Cubit, and then <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's and other than that, I've just been watching all the new release movies that have been released in the last month or so that I need to watch because they're Oscars, Oscar bait Oscar stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what about you, Chancer? Um, so this week I actually had a bit of free time, uh, just a bit though. Um, I had a chance to see um, Bright, the Netflix movie. Oh. <laughs> I can watch that as well. You did? I did. Oh, How did you feel about it? I didn't hate it. See, I think I don't get the the backlash it's getting. I, I really liked it. I was kind of upset because I was literally writing the exact same movie. Oh, no. But instead of ones, it was mana and it was like a political, like worldwide thing. Um, I, I had two main problems with the film and that's uh, the scope of the film and the stakes of the film. They made a massive mistake and, and you mentioned to it to me, Shane, that uh, apparently they want to make a trilogy, which is why at the start they were like... The sequel has already been greenlit. Yeah, green the, the sequel's already been greenlit. Um, and one of the things they do at the very start of the movie is they say explicitly that the Dark Lord will return once they get three wands. In my head, I've gone three wands. That's the stake. And then they're like, oh, by the way, they have one wand. And then the whole movie's about the one wand. And I'm like, why do I give a shit? Yeah. Because you've already mentioned that three wands is bad. Who cares about one one wand? So I never felt like the stakes were urgent. You get rid of that one scene, I reckon it's a much better movie. But the fact that they establish that at the start, like even at the end when they're having the big grand fight, I was sitting there going, and where are the two wands? <laughs> Gonna come in at the last second, I know. Um, but otherwise I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I wish I made my version probably would have been better, but, uh, yeah. And the other thing I watched was shape of water, which I saw with you, Shane. Oh, oh, uh, yes. I'll get into it later. Cause it real good. Uh, what about you, Josh? Uh, I just watched actually more television. So I watched all of American Vandal. Nice. Which is I like, need to, I'm halfway through that. It's like the funny or die, like documentary but about who drew all the dicks <laughs> it's, like it's amazing like, how far they stretch the premise because that premise seems like it should be a two-minute sketch and they actually use it oh. relatively well have you seen it zane i have not watched it now okay it's it seems like a really dumb premise but they actually because they're ripping off making a murderer that's what they're doing but they do it really well really um, well um, and the other one was Black Mirror season four. So, oh, of course, yes, I have watched it. No spoilers, guys, please. I no, wa- I must spoil it for <laughs> everyone. 
I will, I will say my one takeaway is the first episode is no, no, no. It's, okay. it's not a spoiler. Is a perfect pilot, and I want to see a TV series. Right, there's based already talk it. about it becoming. So I've only watched that episode. I meant to watch all of it before this. Yeah. We were recorded, but I just got so busy. It's good. Yeah, it's like Mary Sue the Nightmare. Like it's so. <laughs> oh my! It's a com- A lot of people are talking about it being a comment on like. Uh, Hyper masculinity and and yeah. that kind of sexism. I watched. It. I'm like, no, no, no. This is about fiction. This is about our relationship to fiction. Okay, and cool. so it's it's so it's almost because it's hitting something that is only become really present with like the Rick and Morty fan base and the Star Wars fan base yeah. now. Toxic and fan, so it's yeah. weird because they shot that and wrote that like a year ago. And how like Black Mirror is such a mind fuck with how on point they are. But I'm dying for the rest. Of it. I want to see the one that's all in black and white. I, I will say the rest of the season isn't, or in my opinion, isn't as strong as the first episode. Okay. It's still good, still Black Mirror quality, but it, it, they really started out. In comparison, the they like the, kicked it off. Yeah. In comparison to the the other seasons, though, I, I would say last season was probably the strongest in my opinion okay. of okay. all of them. This one doesn't quite get that high. Okay, yeah. okay. okay, that's cool. And anything else, Josh? Uh, I just want to say Jesse Plemons again. Proves like what an actor. The detail in that, in the costume design, and like, the hair and everything. Oh. I was like, that's so the, the Shatner good. bod. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, beautiful. Um, well, I watched that, and then I watched. Um, I watched a movie. It almost ended up on my top ten, but uh, not quite. It's called Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah. I. It's such an inventive. I, I have to give it props because it's it's an original movie it's saying something it was very well executed but just something about the whole put together didn't quite land for me but other than that it was a really it's such a movie worth seeing to anyone who doesn't know what it's about it's about where Anne Hathaway plays an alcoholic whose life goes to shit so she returns home where she discovers she has the power to control a giant kaiju in South Korea (laughs) Uh, and just the sheer ridiculousness of it all but it's very grounded in her sort of that, that's what I've heard. That, like it's 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 in my uh, list of the movies because I have I haven't seen it yet, um, and I believe it's on DVD now. Yeah, uh, yeah. is it on Netflix or anything? No, it's on not Big God damn it! I think it will be soon. Oh, good because yeah. I really want to see that movie. When I saw it's the a very trailer, Netflixy kind of movie, yeah. it for it yeah. feels like it's built for that market. Um, but yeah, and then I did I rewatched uh, Sister Act. Oh, <laughs> I, I watched Sister Act. You did too. too. You watched it with us. You're at, you're at my place. Uh, that movie is great i will stand by i think it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time it holds up every rewatch whoopi is a tour de force Mm. in that movie and it's such a clever concept it's the fish out of water done so perfectly it's a lounge singer in a church it's interesting because i would say that the movie is very 90s but at the same time it's timeless yeah. It is pretty timeless. It, it yeah. doesn't age. And also, I didn't rewatch it, but Sister Act 2 is one of the best sequels ever made because unlike sequels where they have to try and reset and undo anything they built out in order to take that character and play with them again, Sister Act 2 puts her as a fish out of water again. She's She goes from lounge singer to a nun. So she knows how to be a nun. But then in Sister Act 2, she has to be a nun and she's a school teacher. And so... But the thing that makes Sister Act 2 is they use the stakes that they build up in the first one, the relationships with the nuns, as the reason that she has to go back. Yeah. Like it's not like, okay, the nuns are gone now, so now she's been, she needs to be protected in a school. It's no, the nuns, the relationship that 
she built is the reason for the second movie. Yeah, it's it's just about I think the perfect sequel. I think it's yeah. But anyway, so uh, well, I guess we should just clarify before we sort of make our 2017 lists because there are a couple of movies that are not available in Australia. Chiefly, Phantom Thread, which I am mm. dying to see. Oh, I've heard yeah. so I'm many so good things about it. Uh, the Post, which comes out next week from when we're recording this. I'm that one. I mean Spielberg. I'll show up. For it. But yeah, I've, I've been reading the script and it's really good. Um, and Molly's Game is another one that I've read the script. I hated the script, but I love Aaron Sorkin and Jessica Chastain, so I'm going to show up to that movie. And mm-hmm. it's getting a lot of that awardsy kind of buzz as well, so we'll have to see. Are there any other movies you guys know of that? Shape of Water. It's not released yet. Yeah. It, I mean, I haven't not. seen it. I went to, I I went to a like Ladybird as well. Um, Ladybird yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we even got to see it last year. Yeah, uh, uh, at the at, very end of last yeah. year. The, I the got New home Year's, right before it hit midnight. Yeah. New Year's Eve screening. Yeah, but I didn't realize it doesn't come out for another like week no. or two. No, What's January eighteen. And I was expecting it to be very high on my list, if not the top. So I haven't seen it, so it's not on my list. Uh, well, yeah, no, it's it, Australian distribution is rubbish, and yeah, but there's not, there's <laughs> it's not like much we're a third world that. country. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're we're doing pretty fine. But as far as movies go, <laughs> we're a yeah. third world country. Yes, <laughs> we've got some real white people problems. Yeah, we, we do. <laughs> so I guess we should start with our honorable mentions. So this episode's going to be like full of lists. But hey, everyone loves a good listicle. Listicles. Listicles. <laughs> Um, so who wants to start? Should I start or, or how do we want to start? You, who's kick it off, so, Okay, I'll kick it off. So my honorable mentions. Now, um, every single one of these movies could have ended up on my top ten. Mm. Uh, some of them were for a bit until I watched other stuff and I had to reshuffle my... I was reshuffling my top ten until like last night before we <laughs> recorded this. So um, there's Battle of... I was doing of, it just now. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's Battle of the Sexes, which I loved. It's, oh, a, it's so about good. Billie Jean versus... Uh, uh, Steve Carell. Yeah. Steve Carell. <laughs> I'm excited to see that. I haven't seen it yet. It's such a well-made movie. They made it to look like the time. Her performance is great. It's a great queer film as well. Mm. Just in terms of, it's a, is it a studio film? I think it's Fox Searchlight. Uh, it's a great film. It's really good. It, it it's that sort of like the big crowd pleaser. I think yeah. of of the year. Um, next is the death of Stalin, which is Armando Iannucci's take on Russian politics with all American actors and and some British actors doing their own accents, just saying the nasty shit. Armando Iannucci created Veep, and his sense of humor is all through this. The writing on this is really great. I think the filmmaking let it down a little bit. If a lot of it felt rushed, there's a lot of like out of focus stuff and not intentionally out of focus stuff. I think maybe they had a really short schedule and he focused more on rehearsing and getting the actors' performances great. And the performances are really good. It's that one's a fun one if you're into some dark humor and some really great zingers in there. Um, I've got The Babysitter. Nice. Which my favorite screenwriter of all time, Brian Duffield. And it's this is the first script of his that's been properly produced. It's a horror, comedy, wacky, wild, genre bending thing. Uh, I've got Dave Made a Maze, which oh my God. this was on my top 10 list. It, it did shuffle down. It could be on my top 10 list. You can't, okay, so, but it's not, right? No, it's because not. Because you can't honourably mention something and then put it on your top 10 as well. <laughs> no, no, it's, um, uh, it's this f- weird movie about a guy who's built a maze, but it's like this tiny little box in a lounge room, but then it turns out it's like a giant labyrinthine thing. And the design of this movie, everything's made out of cardboard. It's really visually really good and they did it on a really shockingly low budget like low six figures when you watch the movie it doesn't look like that didn't you just say everything was made of cardboard yes 
But there's a no. They there's built, a lot they of cardboard. Like you a, know how like much cardboard really costs tall, these days. Jeez. I know it's really expensive. I had to buy boxes for my movie, and it was like it put me out a couple <laughs> hundred bucks. Um, I've got a cure for wellness. This one probably was the last one to go from my top ten because I really wanted to root for this one. It is a little long and messy, and not many people will like it. But Gore Verbinski. I love every film he's made. He's such a visual filmmaker and Cure for Wellness is worth it in that it's not based on anything. It's not based on a book, not based on a graphic novel, not based on a song or a board game. It's an original story, a mid-budget, like 50 mil thing about a guy who is like a uh, up insomniac business guy played by Dane DeHaan and one of the other people at the company's gone up to this retreat and hasn't come back and they need the guy to come back. So they send him up there and then it's this like Lovecraftian weird plot going on at this spa for old people. Jason Isaacs is in it. It's really good. It's a little long. It's a little old school in the the pacing, but visually it is stunning. It's one of the most visually stunning movies of the year, I think. Um, I've got The Disaster Artist, we've talked about on the podcast before. I was just grinning like an idiot. Uh, I've got Star Wars The Last Jedi. I think some of the boldest plotting for a studio film like in the last 10 years. I've got Beach Rat, which I've also talked about on the podcast before. Phenomenal directing on incredibly low budget, really great performances. I've got It... Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Because it, my honourable mentions is very long. Um, <laughs> and we're nearly really? there. It, I didn't. I get had that a lot of fun. It, this was originally on my top ten, but I watched it a second time, and it didn't quite hit as well. So I don't know how how good the rewatchability of it is. I, I think it could be on people's top tens. I just, oh, yeah, I, I just don't think it. It's better than the movies that will be on the top ten. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like if if it's on if if any of these movies are on people's top tens, that's great. Like they totally deserve to be there. Um and then I've got uh score a film music documentary, which is a documentary all about film scoring. And it's really cool because they go into a little bit of like the process stuff that most composers don't talk about. It's really interesting. It was fun. I think I'm a little biased because it's just movie stuff. So I just had a lot of fun with it. I got Blade Runner twenty forty nine Visually spectacular, emotionally spectacular, great performances, great directing. I just felt it ran a little too long for my liking. Just a li- like a little too long. It's like so did Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 162 minutes long, and I think I think because if you wanted to keep that pace, that slow, steady pace, you could chop 30 minutes out of that movie, and it would still keep that pace. I will say it when Honestly, we just just get rid of Jared Leto. <laughs> oh man, do you, you know how many movies? would be fixed by just getting rid of Jared Leto. At least two. Oh. <laughs> Not American Psycho because he kills him in that movie. Yeah, no, he's it. great in American Psycho because uh, he just gets... Panic Room? I haven't seen oh, Panic, Panic Room, Room yet, yeah. so... Are you serious? We have been through this like three Back on your or list. four Keep times. It going. Okay, okay. Uh, a ghost story, l- low budget. It's very evocative, does very little, but I thought it was a very interesting movie. And I've got three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. That's not on your top 10? It's not because my top oh. 10 is like my top 12 and my top 12 is very good. Um, this could easily be on my top 10. I just think it's a, it's the best writing Martin McDonough's ever done. It's not his best directing, I don't think. Some of, some of the way it was shot didn't quite sit with me. And the performances outside of the main ones, there's a wife character who is rubbish. The actress is just, she's Australian, she's rubbish. Um, uh, I've got I, Tonya, which I saw by an advanced screening. Um, it was classic advanced screenings. It was classic advanced screenings. Um, it's a very 
I loved it a lot more than I thought I would. It's a very well-made movie. I think there's a couple of technical things that hold it back and I think they erred on the side of keeping Margot Robbie pretty rather than making her look like the character. Um, and then I've got, and this movie I'm torn about because I don't know if it's on my top ten or not, so I'm putting on the honorable mentions and it's The Florida Project because okay. I, I didn't know how to deal with that movie when I saw it. There's a thing to it which I cannot spoil. I only saw it like recently so I need to watch it again. It's worth watching. Uh, it's from the director of Tangerine and it is... Sean Baker. Sean Baker. It's a beautiful movie, beautiful performances, beautiful writing and it's for how simple slice of life the presentation is, it's such a rich and complex movie. I just couldn't dig into it because it needs multiple viewings. So, yeah. Who's, who? Which way are we going, Zane or Josh? Me. Zane. Not me though, fuck you all. <laughs> Zane. Uh, okay, so I've done my honourable mentions by like, these are ones that can't be on my list for one reason or another, but they all have something that qualify them for being on the list. So I don't have any documentaries on my top ten, which is I'm very ashamed of. I have like one. But I have three that were considered. Uh, Jim and Andy, which is right, yeah. the Jim Carrey talking about making Man on the Moon. I'm Man ashamed I still haven't seen that because Man on the Moon is probably my favourite Jim Carrey movie. It, it's a great movie. It's, I would say it's probably his best performance and that is it's a really good documentary about what he went through making it. His best performance wasn't the number 23? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. Uh, the Death and Life of Martha P. Johnson, which is uh, about one of the main gay yeah. trans rights activists in New she York City. She threw the stone at Stonewall. But I was a bit wary about that. Because I read about the story about the guy who stole it from another filmmaker, and I and I heard about that's that. That's why it can't it. be on my top ten. Like, oh, okay, fair there's a lot of reasons why these can't be on my top ten. Uh, honorable, and then Wormwood, which is about uh, CIA 1953. Word, oh, Wormwood. Wormwood. Oh, is that a movie? I thought it was a show. It's on my top ten. Okay. <laughs> well, people have been putting Twin Peaks on their top ten lists <laughs> all year, so you know. Um, Logan, best character introduction. Uh, is Professor X. I yeah. don't like the movie. I didn't like the movie. I, the movie made me very angry. I still haven't seen it. It's, uh, But I think Patrick Stewart as Professor X in there is doing something amazing uh, and he deserves recognition. Best mob scene. Mob scenes get me. They make me angry and I love it when movies make me angry <sighs> with a mob scene. Right? Do you want to guess what it is, Shane? I have, wait, in in Logan? I no, in, in, it's, this is a new movie. Oh, uh, no, I don't know. It's in Mother, the sink scene. Oh, yeah. oh the sink scene, not yeah. not the jo- not the baby scene? No, because by that point I'm expecting mob violence. This is uh, the yeah. point where it's just kind of like, why? Oh. <laughs> the end. Uh, <laughs> best final scene is Raw. Um, oh, yeah. With yes. Yes. Oh, my God. the father's scars. Yeah. 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 Uh, the best reveal in Brigsby Bear. When oh, at the very, I'm not spoiling anything. Okay. It's just like there is a point in that movie when it to, it totally switches around, and you're like, oh, oh, what movie am I watching? Are you talking now? about? See, I went in that very movie start. blind at the very start, and it yeah. starts something like, oh, okay, and then it pulls back, and you're like, oh, what? Yeah. And then it pulls back, and you're like, oh, what? And then it pulls back again, and I was like, that just pulled me into the movie right yeah. away. 
Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, best monologue, Yondu's Redemption. Um, Are you serious? Oh, yeah, I really liked it. Okay. Uh, I, I think that that particular character in that particular movie, um, I think that was the one saving grace of that movie for me. I don't think I would have liked it if it didn't have that That was the thing that made me hate it. Was the, all of the monologuing in that movie made me hate it. All of the monologuing in the movie was bad, Except for that one. But they all just... Yondu just sat down in a prison and spilled his guts. No, no, no. Not that one. This is the one when they're like right at the end when he says, no, one of us has to die. Oh, that was good. I'm going to die. That was good. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. No, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, The bell-bottom chase in Baby Driver is, I think, is the best chase scene this year. And my uh, best moment in a movie is Star Wars Last Jedi, the light speed Gambit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. Cool. Visually, I think that was quite m- possibly my favourite. And that's my honourable mentions. Okay. Oh. Chance to. Um, So mine's going to be a bit different because uh, I am so poor and so dead and having no time this year. <laughs> I saw far less movies than I would have liked to. So my honourable mentions uh, are going to be movies that I wish I'd seen because they sound really good. <laughs> um, funny enough, I, all of your honourable mentions... A movie oh, yeah. in my top ten because I didn't put any of my honorable mentions that Shane had already mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> uh, all of your honorable mentions are in my top ten because I didn't see enough good movies to be like, oh yeah. Um, but I'm sure that all of my honorable mentions might be in your top tens because you actually saw them. Um, so first off, uh, I mean this probably won't be in yours because I haven't heard great things about it. But John Wick two. Really love the first one uh, visually and just the way they portray action in those movies is refreshing to see. So you have or haven't seen John? The honorable mentions. Haven't you seen haven't any seen of John Wick two? No, I've got no time. Ooh, ooh. See that? That's that's that. Well, John Wick one is way better. Oh, yeah. one is way better. Yeah. That's generally the case. Uh, Colossal, uh, yep. mainly because I didn't have the time. I was so hyped when I first saw the trailer. Like at the start of the year, I was like, this is a fantastic looking movie. Something I feel like new, it'll be more like your top 10 kind of material. I think oh. it's really in your wheelhouse as it, a movie. I, I, I know. such a weird blend. Um, I know that uh, I ended up hearing bad reviews. I'm pretty sure specifically from you, Shane, but Free Fire. Free yeah. Fire was just, I, I love that. Who's that filmmaker who made it? The uh, director? Uh, 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 ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. I love Ben Wheatley's work and I was really excited about Free Fire, but I didn't see it. War of the Planet of the Apes. That's... Didn't, didn't have time. Uh, Girls Trip I put on there because uh, I Tiffany really liked... Haddish makes that movie. <laughs> yeah, see, I really liked Rough Night. I think I'm one of the few people who did. Uh, I wanted to see Girls Trip because it pretty much looked the same movie, but I was like, hey, I'll have two of the same movie in one year. I'm fine with that. Um, I saw Ants and the Bugs Life, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have money for Girls Trip because Rough Night came out first. Uh, Jigsaw... I didn't want to see it because it was Saw. Uh, I did want to see it because it was a Spearig Brothers. It's, saw one out. I didn't see it. It doesn't <laughs> hit the best of either one of those things. Yeah. Bummer. I don't think. It's not. It's worth watching. It's better than like Saw 3 and Onwards. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Get Out, which like that would definitely be in my top 10 and if I, if I saw it. I know that for Or oh, you haven't fact. seen it. No. These are honourable men. He hasn't yeah, seen any of wow. these We're movies. We're having a movie night. We need to do a movie Pity night. Me, this is a confessional from John. Yes. <laughs> like... uh, and the last, uh, oh wait, no, Split, because I didn't know Split came out this year and I didn't see that either. <laughs> and lastly, Three Billboards, Outside which... Ebbing, Missouri. Yep. Three Best billboards. title of the year. 
I can't remember it, but yeah, longest. sure. Uh, I, I love, um, you know, in Bruges. I, I love Seven Psychopaths. I love, I don't, I, you were the one who introduced me to the fact that a lot of people don't like Seven Psychopaths. I fucking no, no, love no. that mm. movie. Um, but yeah, so I was really, really keen for three billboards, but hey, Australian distribution. What's well, out now? Yeah, yeah, it's out now. <laughs> uh, right, Josh. Josh. Yeah, my list. So. Uh, similar to Chancellor, I missed a lot of like like really good movies. I really liked The Sea, but no, I wasn't unfortunate as Chancellor though, so I could, <laughs> still got to see some. So my honorable mentions is actually my honorable mentions. Uh, number one, for Ragnarok, uh, Taika Waititi. Yep. Very fun, explosive, like 80s sci-fi, like extravaganza with Taika's humor, which I really enjoyed, but didn't make it. Um Second one is Super Dark Times by Kevin <gasps> Phillips. That's on my list. I was going to watch that one this week and I missed it. Is it, is it good? Okay. Yeah, it's good. That one. Also, a- it's one of the few movies that doesn't make, oh, it's a period piece in a certain time that doesn't make, make it so apparent and make it a part of its story. Like it's just, it just simply set there and it doesn't need to like heighten it or be like, hey, we're in the 80s or something. Like it okay. is simply what it is. And, it's definitely on my list to watch. I was I have to. and yeah, how it characterized like again, movies like now, like Stranger Things, all that are really good at like taking kids' voices and actually making them feel real. Um, this movie continues to like that trend of like making kids like dialogue and interactions feel real. And I just thought the performances were great and like the cinematography is like decent. Okay. Um, the next one, T uh, two Train Spotting. I was just like, yeah, it's. A, I thought it's I had a, a lot of sequel. fun with that movie. It's a fun movie. Um, it actually, as a for a, for a sequel, it actually like matters as a sequel. Like it, it connects really well to the first one. Yeah. Um, my fourth one is Power Rangers because yes. I actually had a fun time in that movie. I love that. Movie. Um, it's very flawed. It's very cheesy. Uh, they played the original theme in the wrong moment. They should have played it later in the movie. But um, it was, I still want to. It was towards. They only played it in the final fight. No, they played it when all... Yeah, it's when they all run after her, but after they've already... Like, yeah, but I, I didn't feel like that worked in that, okay. that moment. That's the best product placement of any movie I've seen <laughs> oh, in a yeah, very it, long time. It was simultaneously <laughs> blatant, but hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, number five pick is The Last Jedi. Goddamn, Ryan Johnson, I love oh. you. Uh, you, like... Angered a lot of the Star Wars fan, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, angry. Take that, fanboys. <laughs> um, I think it has the best moment where it's just like, uh, spoilers for every fucking movie in this episode, by the way. It's just, uh, you don't matter. Your parents don't matter. <laughs> that was the best moment for me. It was a running theme because Blade Runner 2049 was you're not special. Mm. You are not the chosen one stop thinking and work to help the people who are like it was it, thematically it was a really interesting thread going through this year it was i thought anyway yeah so that well, moment look at the entitled people we have in power yeah, yeah. but it's weird that it like it happened because those blade runner 2049 so was being made three years ago not this year so it's how ha- it's weird how yeah on point it was. I don't know. Millennials I say, are pretty entitled. Illuminati <laughs> confirmed. Illuminati <laughs> confirmed. Anyway, in that moment and what preceded it was like that beautiful, beautiful lightsaber fight. Oh, like, oh, in just, the throne room. This is in that frame. Oh, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and my next pick is, because I forgot about it, but it's amazing. Dave made a maze. Thank you, Shane, for my yes. Just, <laughs> this, that was like This last year had so much good entertainment. You just forget about some like, yeah. so... After Dave made a maze, also the Andy Kaufman documentary, like like about Jim Carrey, and 
My God, Split. I forgot about Split. Split was fun. <laughs> I think it's interesting because a lot of movies, there's a few that rise to the top as everyone's sort of favourite. And it's kind of happened this year, but there is so many. I think the you're seeing it in the Oscar talks mm. is that the talk of who's going to get Best Picture, It's usually it's one or two. You know, it's The Social Network or it's The King's Speech or it's La La Land or Moonlight. Or both. And, hey. <laughs> but this year, it's it's split over a lot of movies. I think that's such a good thing. I think that's really telling of There's that. There's still is- a lot of like the problems with the Oscars though because it's like some things on Twitter but quotes from the actual like voters and there's some that's like, uh, we like call you by my na- like call you by my name, but like <laughs> we did Moonlight last year, so what's the point? And I was like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. I was like, are you serious? Yeah, come on, guys. We already gave black people one bone. Let's not give them too many. They'll get greedy. Oh. They'll want their own Oscars. Uh, but okay, so uh, we move that's on. Before fun. we do our top lists, I think we. I don't normally like. I, I say I don't normally like ratting on movies. I rat on movies all the time. Yeah, but that's what you do. Worst this is literally films what of we the do year. All the time. Well, I just just mentioned a couple of worst films of the year. I think, and for me, my three picks are Alien Covenant because there was that was the idiot plotting at its worst. I think it's worse <laughs> than Life. There's a movie called Life that's basically the same kind of idiot yeah. plotting <laughs> where characters make decisions. These are all like highly qualified scientists who've been like qualified by the entire of Earth government to take this special mission to a new planet and they're like, "Let me just breathe in this flower from an alien planet with no mask on." <laughs> Uh, and I thought it just angered me, not even as, I know for you, Josh and Chanster, it angered you as part of being the Alien franchise and what its relationship was it to angered the us on movies, multiple levels. But yeah. just <laughs> as a movie to me, I just thought it was not good. And there's the scene where the character slips on blood as the little alien. I just, I put like, that's like a... That like, was you know, my it's favorite such a moment of the film. That was literally the only thing I liked in that film was when she slipped on the blood. I, and laughed, I laughed so hard. <laughs> oh yeah, we saw it together, didn't <laughs> yeah, we? We, we, together. we both laughed. Um, I also hated Beauty and the Beast, yeah. the Disney one. It's not even like writing on like remakes or anything like that because I liked the Jungle Book, but Beauty and the Beast just makes consistently bizarre choices in why the beast is CGI. He should not have been CGI. I understand CGI for the clocks and the candlesticks and all that. There's no reason to sue CGI for the beast. I think it was so that the studio could change it if it scared children too much in testing. I I specifically think that was the reason why they did it. Um, But you see the behind the scenes, he's just in this horrible grey suit walking her down. There's Emma Watson would have been like, I left La La Land for this. (laughs) Um, But they make, like, at the very end of the movie, I'm not going to even, like, I'm spoiling it because it's not really a spoiler. There's, like, it's the big beauty and the beast. And then you have that last orchestra stab of the thing. It's like the dun before it cuts to black. And what happens is it's it's shot of Belle and the Beast dancing. Then it's the big wide crane up on everyone dancing. You think, okay, cut to black. No, no, no. That last less than a second beat they cut to Stanley Tucci at the piano and then to black. And it was just, it was a decision that there is no reason for that. It's just, it's, a, it's oh, the music makes a sound, so we need to make a cut here. Cut back to fucking Beauty and the Beast. It's called Beauty and the Beast, not Stanley Tucci and his wife at the piano. <laughs> it just, there was constantly terrible decisions, bad new songs. There's a whole plot where he has this magical travelling book, takes her to a house, and then the magical travelling book never comes back into the movie ever again. She's like, I need to run to my father. So she runs from a castle down to back to a village in France. Instead of taking the magic travelling book, no. Um, and then a movie called American Assassin, 
uh, it's bad. It's bad <laughs> filmically and it's bad politically. It's racist as fuck. It's so so bad. It I that was one of the wor- that was possibly my worst movie because other the other movies had like one or two things that I could grab onto or be fascinated by. This was just nothing from beginning to end. Zane, I have a list of ten. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go into why they're bad. They're pretty self-explanatory. One of them I might go into. Um, but it's not the worst movies because there are a lot of bad movies, but these are movies that are, for one reason or another, disappointing. Okay. Either they could have been good, they had every reason to be good, and they were not. Those are the ones that like frustrate Beauty and the Beast. Me. Beauty and the Beast is on my list yep. because it, Disney is not... It's, it's hard to wreck Disney, but they went a yeah. long way towards it. But everyone I spoke to have said they love it more than the animated movie. Okay. They I'm also f- going to say in the musical theatre community, The Greatest Showman has got nothing but great reviews. How? And it's a terrible movie. It is. <laughs> the, the plot is wrong. The songs don't fit. The oh, I liked, performances I liked, aren't great. This is me. That was the only moment where I felt transported to the movie. Uh, oh, and like the opening beat me. where I was like... Yeah into it, I was like, oh, what are they doing? And then it very quickly became not. Yeah. Uh, so the Emoji movie is just <laughs> no, no reason to exist. Uh, yes. No. This, is that the, not mine? It is, it is this year's uh, Sausage Party. Yeah. yeah. Like it doesn't know who it's, who it's targeting and it's just poorly written, poorly performed, poorly animated, bad. Wait, uh, tell me, does the Emoji movie end with an orgy? No, it doesn't. Oh. It doesn't end with an orgy. Uh, Death Note. Oh, yeah. Ghost in the Shell. Yep. Uh, All the controversy around that. Valerian. Yep. Should have been great. I, I, I liked, I didn't love it, but I liked it more than I think a lot of people did. I thought it was a $200 million movie that looked like $200 million at least, which you can't say for a lot of stuff. It, it, it really felt like a dumbed down version of the fifth element. Yeah, I agree hundred like, percent. And you can't go down from the And fifth I literally element watched I watched there. the fifth element a week before I saw Valerian and the fifth element to me is a masterpiece. Yeah. And Valerian just doesn't hold up to that. Uh the Dark Tower. Yeah. The, oh, the content yeah. is so strong and they just young adulted it up and it was terrible. The one thing I liked was the design of the world I thought was really intriguing. Because they blended things that shouldn't normally blend. Yeah, the world, the, the world, and the visuals were fine, but that doesn't make a good movie. Yeah, no, are they making no. a like series out of it to like retcon the movie? Hopefully, yes, yeah. because yeah. that's what needs. I to need be to done. read those books. Uh, the Mummy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The beginning and end of that the dark universe. universe. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it. I refused to watch it. <laughs> well, it's a Tom Cruise movie. I don't usually watch Tom Cruise movies. I watched it because I'm like, I'm interested in what they could do, and they just. Nothing again. Justice League, biggest waste of time in the entire world. (laughs) That mustache. Good. (laughs) Now, my controversial one, Manchester by the Sea. To me, that's a last year movie. Uh, Not last year, sorry, it's a 2016 movie because it was that Oscar bait one. Yeah, but it was released in Australia in 2017 and I am going to lean on that definition for my top ten. I have to say, because I'm with you, I fucking hated that movie. Why did he win the Oscar? It it's was not, not good. a great performance. No. Even Michelle just... Williams, she just cries. All right, that's my, that's my list. I, <laughs> that movie made me very angry because it was just, it was misery porn. Yeah, it, well, that's exactly right. Yeah. I was like, oh, can this guy be angry and sad at the same time? Apparently, 
the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, I got frustrated when I saw yeah. that movie. Anyway. Uh, so uh, my three picks, um, it was originally two, but I completely forgot about Death Note. <laughs> Death Note was a movie that was so bad. I, I remember watching the, I haven't seen the, uh, the, the anime, but I remember seeing the Japanese movies mm. when I was in high school. I, I swear I remember really I liking the, the them. the live action ones? Yeah. Uh, we watched them at music camp in school. I really liked them. See, <laughs> I remember really liking them. And after watching this movie... I could I I can see how the anime was good but I can honestly not see how the movie versions were any good. That movie was so bad it retroactively made me think whether I actually like those films. I got to go back and watch them. That's yeah. Um also it ended with the weirdest fucking blooper reel ever. It ends with a blooper reel? <laughs> yeah, but it's not like a, a funny blooper reel. It's just like people getting frustrated and it's like... and <laughs> It's, not, it's it, just it's mind just angry people just like, oh, fuck up it's the like, shot. It's like, ah, sorry. Yeah, no, fuck that. And then beep. <laughs> it's weird. fucking bizarre. Anyway, uh, next one is The Mummy. Yeah, <laughs> nothing else needs to be said. Just the mummy. I saw the trailer, and as soon as there's like the blonde woman, she's like, "Help me, Tom Cruise!" And then the mummy rises up behind her. I'm like, "Yep, never seeing this." I, I just <laughs> love that. Like, the people have gotten their head at the idea of cinematic universes because of Marvel. Uh, Marvel. Oh. Universal Monsters was literally the first series yeah. ever to do that, and they did it great. Then they did it great as the Hammer films. And and now they're just like let's let's do it let's do it again. To make it so serious. The asylum has literally done it already, and they did it fucking better. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> anyway, and the last one is Alien Covenant. But of course, it fucking is that movie. <laughs> So, so, yeah, like you said, I, I hate it because uh, of what it does to the franchise. As a film, uh, Prometheus, I didn't like. It was written by Damon Lindelof, who was all like, no, let's create mystery. And then this movie was like, oh, look, we're smart. We're going to get all those mysteries they made in co- uh, in Prometheus and wrap them up. Oh, no, up. wait, 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 wait. This, this made the movie, this made the movie. You, I'll blow, you do the fingering. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's the other <sighs> second part that that's I love the in the movie. That's the worst line <laughs> of the year. But, so it, it simultaneously like wrapped up the uh, mysteries from Prometheus, but in doing so, it made the, the entire rest of the series impossible to exist. It's contradicted itself. So that's one fucking thing. But then also, you talk about idiot, idiot plotting. There's just fucking confused plotting. Like the guy's like, "I'm gonna go pee," and then he goes <laughs> over there. He gets out a cigarette and sits down and starts smoking. I'm like, hold up. No, get back a fucking second. Why didn't he say I'm going to smoke? Why did, well, I thought it was going to be – I was like, oh, he's lying. And then I thought – I was like, oh, is he going to pull out a phone and he's like a secret sabotage right? person? No, he's no, just smoking. smoking. And then he, are, yeah. they, are they not allowed Shit. to smoke in the future? Because I remember his resolution, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah. I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> oh, I've been stuck on that spaceship for ages. i got to take a puff. I'm going to leak. <laughs> it was just – Odd. And uh, honestly, uh, so there are some things I love in movies that make them very human, specifically Beetlejuice. I always think in Beetlejuice at the start when they see the ad and they pronounce it Beetlegeist. I love that because that shows that these characters don't just know what's going on. They're confused. They're human. They see this thing. They go, Beetlegeist. Oh, what's that? And blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that's what they were trying to do, but it doesn't fucking work. It's just Oh, God damn that it. Go. Me, that movie made me angry. Yeah, same. It just made... It, it, I have not felt that angry in a movie since Prometheus, so <laughs> that's telling. Go, Josh. 
Oh, well, fortunately, I was spared from a lot of the bad movies, except for Alien fucking Covenant, again, <laughs> to ride the train that chances on. Not only is it bad because the movie assumes that it's smarter, just smart, it assumes that it's smarter than everyone else and yeah. the audience. Just like, oh, fuck you, audience. Um, yeah, once again, it ruined, it retcons fucking everything. And it has to also, like, steal from every other Alien movie, like... From each point, it's like, oh, it's alien and it's aliens and there's something beat from like Alien Resur- Resurrection. And yeah, like, there's the like, fuck? you have literally made it so those movies can't exist, but you visually rip them off. Yeah. What the fuck, James Cameron? And my biggest hatred of all is really. Ridley Scott. What? Ridley oh, yeah, Ridley Scott. Sorry, James Cameron, you're all right. Go make seven billion Avatar films. That'll be great. <laughs> just live under the sea. Yeah, live under the sea. You'll love it. No, but like, I just hate also the fact that this mo- movie cancelled out uh, Neil Blomkamp's. Like movie, like these yeah. Alien Five. Which I don't like Neil Blomkamp, but I think his movie would be. Yeah, better well, than... it's like Ridley Scott just aggressively holding onto the reins of this franchise that he thinks is fucking perfect, and he thinks he's too dangerous for Star Wars. Did you, and hear, shit. Did you hear he said it should be as successful as Star Wars or uh, what was the other thing or Star Trek? He says Alien no. should be as successful as Star Wars or Star fucked. Trek. I'm like, nah. Like, definitely not. He made a horror film in space with that first one. He's gone senile, though. Do you know his whole... He was a master... I think he's someone whose filmmaking has gotten worse because his approach... I've seen interviews with him and his approach is he... Because they were asking, oh, how do you work getting good performances? I just... I put 12 cameras on it and I figure it out later. That, that's his thing he just and he's like he's like she that's is. how you do it all this like you can't shoot with multiple cameras it's it's bullshit just put 12 cameras on I'm like yeah some people don't have the fucking budget for 12 cameras <laughs> some people have to you know work hard uh, <laughs> so, and, yes. sorry Josh Go. sorry <laughs> no I feel like we all just that hatred of alien confidence in our hearts <laughs> but I will say uh also, secondhand smoke hatred for the mummy for having the audacity to be like, let's set up the dark universe before we even have one fucking film out. <laughs> you think I, love that, I love that they did a photo shoot for the dark universe. They had universe. a photo shoot and they had the title <laughs> card in front of the movie, apparently. The dark like, universe. Yeah, the dark yeah. universe. I was like, what? Oh, so, so that's your the hatred? Yeah, that's, okay. my, that's my hatred. So now let's do our top 10 and we'll do it in round. And I've got it to do three at a time, but my top 10 is a top uh, 12. So I'm going to, uh, we'll list it at three at a time. And if yours is more, list the first block as however many to catch you up to number eight. So. Right, Zane. Man, right, these people Zane. With more Wait, so 12 to eight. So we'll go 12 to eight. Uh, I'll go or, or 10. If you've just got a 10, you go 10, <laughs> 9, 8. And we go around and then we'll keep listing it. And then we should list number one, one at a time each. That's, okay, that's cool. the design of it. So for me, uh, number 12 is Ladybird. Can't seen it, can't put it on there. Yeah, yeah. it Haven't is it. good and it is surprisingly good at doing things that in that genre, that genre is so tired, the coming of age teen high school thing and it it's surprisingly subtle, it's surprisingly really well designed and really well shot but it's not like gregarious, it's not like a Baz Luhrmann thing where they're throwing the camera would you, around. How would you compare it to uh, Edge of Seventeen? It's better. Okay, it's because better. Edge of Seventeen was a pretty Edge, competent movie. Edge of Seventeen movie. Is, really a, is a competent movie and it's ex- very well written, very well performed. Mm. I think Lady Bird has m- better filmmaking behind yeah. it. Edge of Seventeen kind of, for the most part, defaulted just over the shoulders yeah. in very generic locations. Where Lady Bird, she picks her locations were perfectly picked. Yeah. The, the sense of place. I am excited to watch The this sense film. of place in that movie is something to make note of but it's it's very good in social Ronan's she's always phenomenal um 11 is good time i mentioned that in uh 
earlier in the podcast. I don't need to go into detail. It's such a singular movie. It's only these people could have made it. And that's a really hard thing to get because a lot of movies will bleed into each other or they're pulling from other sources and good time feels so in and of itself. Robert Pattinson is phenomenal. And that movie just, it had, it's like an hour and a half panic attack. It's, it's, <laughs> it's glorious. Um, number 10 is my documentary. It's my one documentary pick. It's called Alive and Kicking. And it is a documentary about the Lindy Hop swing dancing. It's available on Ooh. Netflix now. Ooh. It is, it's such a low budget. It's a very feel good movie, which is why it's on here. It's so, such a low budget and it occasionally hampers the movie, but they're still trying in the way they're making the movie to make it have more of a design than just talking heads footage of the thing, talking heads footage of the thing, which a lot of documentaries do. They try and do stuff with the camera in in interstitial sort of bits. And what I really liked is they very much acknowledged the African-American community's role in the Lindy Hop in swing dancing. And they got the legends, these actual legends who started it in the 40s in the documentary. It's a really feel-good movie that just made me happy. Um, Number nine is Brigsby Bear. Uh, this was my number one, but it's kind of shuffled around a bit. Um, Brigsby Bear is a movie. I don't want to spoil the story. Just go and watch it, especially if you're a filmmaker. I think you're going to connect with it more. I think I specifically connected with it because of that and because of you know it's things about relationships with fathers and stuff like that. Uh, I cried in this movie. I didn't. I went in pretty blind. I just expected a kooky thing, and I cried. It's the emotions hit pretty hard, especially towards the end of it. It's a great companion piece to. The Disaster Artist, but yeah. I think it's better than The Disaster Artist. Um, and number eight is a movie called God's Own Country, which is a, it's, I mean, people have described it as Brokeback Mountain, but in England. Um, but I think this movie has a tremendous amount of humanity. The performances are so good for young actors too it's they're really good the director unlike call me by your name which i didn't like the director doesn't shy away from the sex and he uses the sex scenes this has this movie probably has some of the best sex scenes i've seen in a movie because they are used to tell a very specific thing about the character going through a very specific moment which most of the time most movies stop sex scene continue on this one didn't and Francis Lee I think did a really good job of using the place he had, using very low budget and telling something really good. I wish maybe visually there was like a fraction more in the camera work but I get why and it also had this one scene that was possibly one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. It's called the pasta scene and I I did, was I was like, oh, it, it, the feels on this movie. So that's my 12 to 8. Uh, we'll go around the same pattern. Zane, you're, 10, 9, you're up to 8. Oh, no, no, no. So, uh, yeah, uh, I had 10 because I, uh, I, do, my, I do my research properly. <laughs> uh, I have added two more. Super Dark Times is number 12. Really like yeah. it. It's I've been told there's another movie called A Dark Song, which is an Irish horror movie that I really want to see because the design of it looks really good. I just never got around to watching it. I time. also haven't. Okay. <laughs> uh, Darkest Hour. Yes. 11. It didn't quite make 10, but I really wanted to find a place for it, but I didn't. Uh, but now I have. So yeah, good yeah. news, everyone. Uh, <laughs> number 10, Blade Runner 2024. 2049. 2049, whatever. I don't care. But it's a good numbers. movie. The future. It's a really good movie. This is the end. Marjorie Prime. It's number nine. What? Has anyone seen Marjorie Prime? No, no, is it no. like Marjorie, not spelt like Marjorie? Is it like Majorie? Like if I were to pronounce it badly, it'd be M-A- M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E Prime. I have not even heard no, of this movie. Is it, this? it is a movie uh, adapted from a play about, it's kind of Black Mirror-esque in the sense that 
when someone dies, they get a simulacrum of them in to help the grieving people. So an old woman's husband dies and they get John Hamm playing her young husband in so that she can talk to him and because she has dementia so she she's declining and so rather than having to tell her every day that her husband is dead and go through that, they get this young version of him in to talk to her and so it's not as this jarring. sounds so good. Yeah. And then... Her daughter and her husband, when she dies, they, the daughter gets one of her. But the conflict comes in when they are telling the simulacrum, they tell the simulacrum how to act. The simulacrum is like, oh, what did I think about that? Or how, what would I have done in that situation so that they can make themselves more uh, like the person? But they shape the simulacrum into something that the person wasn't into the person that they wanted right. to be. That's so on and point. And the final scene is when everyone is dead because the, the daughter then spoilers? dies and they... and It's not spoilers. Okay. Uh, well, they're not dead technically. The, the husband gets one of, the, of his wife and the final scene is the three simulacrum basically talking to each other about identity and who they are and what it means. It's a cool. great wow. movie. That sounds. I'm. That's on my list. I'm putting that on my list. Marjorie. Marjorie Prime. 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 And uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is number eight. Cool. It is. Very good. It is a very good movie. The performances are great. Fant- Super dark comedy. Frances McDormand. I think that's her best thing since Fargo. Yeah. I think I it might be that. better. I think I need I, to watch I, it again. I would. I would say it's better. Much more entertaining, and the 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 swings from like super dark to like super funny to super is, sweet. Occasionally, well, yeah, but, and so she, yeah, just a really vulnerable performance, and yeah, really touching. Awesome, awesome, chance duck. Well, mm. uh, I actually do have a top ten because <laughs> I do my work properly, and Shane. <laughs> Honestly, I originally only had seven because I really haven't seen that many movies. I've seen more than seven movies, but only no, no, no. seven I consider One of them to was be... Covenant, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I do have ten movies that I saw, but these first three are really just movies that I saw and I really liked. You guys would probably put in your honourable mention because you actually had enough movies to have a proper honourable mention. So bitter. Uh, I am. So number ten... Uh, Gonna have satay uh, is um, Kong Skull Island. Oh, uh, okay. I, I honestly think this I is had like so much fun with that one. Yeah, it's a really fun movie. I saw it in the drive-in as well, so that was just super fun. Uh, I think visually, it, it's one of the more bolder choices, especially for like a, a, a kaiju film. And I feel like this is the right way to artificially set up this cinematic universe. I felt like. Definitely more involved in it. I did have problems with the film, specifically because I'm a huge King Kong fan and watching the film, it didn't feel like King Kong. It felt like those B-movies that came out around the same time to capitalise on King Kong, but also on such a much larger scale. I'm not a B-movie fan, so when I saw this, it felt fresh. Like, even though I'd never... I'd seen, like, the original black and white King Kong and when they released the King Kong, it's like, okay, this is a King Kong movie. Oh, yeah, they're on a boat, they're going to Skull Island. Mm. This is what felt like a fresh approach and I was really interested in what they were saying. It didn't feel like they were retreading 
uh, someone else's movie. I cool. appreciated for a blockbuster movie that it had some interesting shot design to it, specifically yeah. where they attach the camera to the floor of the helicopter and when it goes down. That's literally what I think of that every image time. was yeah. so potent, and you, they, you don't get a lot of potent imagery in huge movies well, yeah, outside I of Christopher Nolan. Jordan Vogue Roberts like had a really unique. Although, movie. did you hear about he's sexually? Oh, assaulted. get fucked! Really, him as well. A, a porn actress had made a report. It's, she's just made a statement, so I, like. Obviously, there's not like it's not like Weinstein where there's like a bunch of women, but I'm 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 pretty much at this point inclined to lean on believing anyone. Who says <sighs> Everyone, it's annoying. Well, my number nine is Atomic Blonde. Did anyone sexually harass that movie? <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you. No, I she like their own action. <laughs> <laughs> she assaulted herself. Um, but no, that was uh, so. Once again, it was a movie I had problems with. I thought it was very fun. Uh, visually very fresh it was just the story was every spy film ever it's Mm. the plot of get smart it's the plot of mission impossible one it's the plot of uh skyfall even um where oh no the bad guy's got a list of all of our spy identities stop making lists (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know so number seven no (laughs) no um that fight scene in the middle Oh, the, yeah. the one take fight scene, yep. and then when they did the the trick with the umbrellas, yeah. I thought those two moments stood out to me as really good. I really hated that they killed the umbrellas moment because she got shot twenty seconds after they did it, <laughs> and I was like, "So you had this really cool ruse that then completely was nothing." But yeah, it, it was a good plan in theory, vis- visually it was good, and, and in visual, they pulled that off on a thirty five million dollar budget, yeah, that is which so that impressive. is. Really, they did the same. There was a movie, The Hitman's Bodyguard, which I had fun with. Oh, that should have been my honorable mentions because I really wanted to see that. 35 as well. And yet they're pulling off what was normally a 60 to $80 million action movie Mm. on 35 now. There's there's a lot of work going into the behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And and like these are films, uh, that specifically Atomic Blonde and things like the original John Wick, they're bringing back that genre Mm. that's kind of died in the 2000s. It's coming back slowly. But it's getting there and I'm, I'm really hoping it like brings more sort of films like that. And finally, number eight is going to be Star Wars episode Last Jedi. eight. Eight. Yeah. Eight. <laughs> number eight is number eight of the Star Wars Last Jedi. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with that movie. I loved that it still had that poetic symmetry that George Lucas always harked on about. But at the same time, it completely fucked with your expectations with it i i think um attack of the clones and its poetic symmetry to um uh uh sorry what's the f- empire strikes back um you can see it there and it's very subtle whereas this one i think it's more subtle obvious or non-existent oh no it's it's, it's, it's there uh and i think it's more obvious in this one but the fact that it also uses the fact that you know what's going to happen and fuck with your expectations uh, i i just really it's enjoyed actually it also surprisingly consistent with lucas's like vision like how you wanted to make the sequels more spiritual yeah and it goes with like Luke transitioning from being like believing in the like the pragmatic Jedi and how it used to be and finding out how they actually were. Yeah, it's just like they are shit. They are horrible people. <laughs> Did you see the prequels, man? They were. <laughs> I like. I I really like that. When I was watching that movie, I got into it. I was gasping. I was like, oh, and this is happening. What? It was oh, my yeah. favorite opening from like the thing like, since like A New Hope, where it's like the original Star Wars, where it's like the ship it goes down and then pushes in like dramatically. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm excited. Unexpected. Go on to you, okay. Josh. Oh, it's me. Okay. So, because I'm also unreliable, like Shane, I have too many. Um, <laughs> almost like these are like 
these up to 10 kind of were good enough for me to like not just have an honorable mentions because I felt like they still like hit me hard enough. So I will start with 14 was The Big Sick like, by Michael Showalter. Yep. Um, I believe like while the cinematography and editing was let it down, it still had like the, the emotion and like the characters and everybody like that, that story they told was like very beautiful and like connected a lot to it. Um, 13 was Baby Driver by Edgar Wright. I yeah. had a lot of fun with that movie. Had like beats slightly ruined now because Kevin Spacey, but he also gets but horribly he, he gets, killed. He gets run over by a car and then his corpse is rerun over by yeah. that same car. There is a, there is some catharsis. There is, there is a disturbing sort of parallel. Yeah. Yeah. In that movie though, that I think it does um, taint yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> continue on like why like the act, like the story may be a bit thin. I believe the style like was amazing. Yeah. And I, uh, number 11, like 12 was The Babysitter, yes. which yeah. is like surprising because it's like the first McGee movie I've liked, really. Um, and once again, like, like Shane said, Brian Duffield, like one of the my favorite screenwriters if you now. Can, if anyone's listening and you like want to be a screenwriter, find his scripts online. He did one called Your Bridesmaid is a Bitch and it's the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> it has read. one of the <laughs> best monologues. It does. It's such, like, it sounds like a silly comedy and it's playing on that, but it actually pulls out a really unique rom-com thing from it. I'll send it to you because uh, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. And my number 11 pick is It. Yes. Uh, horror like came really like was strong like last in 2017. Like, yeah. They, yeah. They, like, hit it out of the park. 2016 and 2017 have both been really mm. good for horror. <gasps> I want to... <laughs> Zane had a revelation. <laughs> oh no. No, that's good. It's too late. Wait, now. it may be on my list. Of, you can add it from the camera. I'm going to swear. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like Bill Skarsgård in this role. Holy so shit, good, yeah. man. So and good. all the trial performances, um, Finn Wolfhard. You, you, to yeah. me, the, the sink scene was some of the most sink scene imagery all, I've seen all year. Um, even like stuff with Georgie, like that opening, how they like did it. And it was Georgie, like a lot, faithful, a lot more faithful to the book and like just ripping off that arm, man. I was just like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I wasn't and, expecting to do that. Because I knew the movie would be like mine and alright, but I was like, oh, you, you ate a child's arm off in the first five minutes. And waving it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 waving That was the best thing about it too is because like Pennywise is funny and is like goofy as well and like they captured yeah. that. So that was great. Um, number 10, again, horror, Gerald's Game. Yep. Mike that Flanagan like had one of the scariest moments that scared me in any movie in a long time. We think we know the one where like it's the- At the end of the, the bed? Yeah, he's like in the corner yeah. of the room. My, I, I watched that, that with my mum. She lost it. She, mm. she freaked out. She had like an actual physical reaction to this thing. She went and watched it with me, had no reaction to that at all. <laughs> she got freaked out by Gerald's game. Yeah, like it was like, I think that like brought me in for immediately, but like every single bit, like when they left the door open and they had that little look yeah. where she looks, I'm just like, Push. no. I feel like I should put that on my my honorable mentions. Mike Flanagan is such like he's mm. a filmmaker who has had a really great run. He did like he had three movies get released last year in a row. He did uh, Before I Wake, Ouija Two, on Netflix right and now. Hush, which are Hush all extraordinary great. movies. Before I Wake just dropped, and that's a really gorgeous horror movie. But anyway, sorry, continue. Yes, yeah, so I can see. Um, so yeah, that really like that and that scene, that one that scene, one. just. I couldn't do like, it. it was, like the the ending was, you know, yeah, but it's like it's true to, to the, the book. book so. so I get why they did it. Um, number nine, the Marat stories, new and selected. Ah, yes. But no one back. Like not my favorite back, but like 
I feel like is the best Adam Sandler performance in a very long <laughs> since Punch Drunk Love. Since Punch Drunk Love. Um, the performance he got out of everybody, like Emma Thompson, just Emma disappeared. Emma Thompson is so good in that, in that movie. movie. Um, and yeah, Noah, is this a better Woody Allen? Fuck you, Woody Allen. Less rapey Woody Allen, yeah, that's for sure. Allen. Doesn't finger fuck his daughter in the attic. Oh my God. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> old, so now old. we're going to have our top 10 finger fuckings <laughs> for the year. And where am I up to? Number eight. Hey, I'm up to number eight. Um, a Ghost Story by yep. David Lowry. This visually brilliant, David, just emotionally. David Lowry is Lowry, a really yeah. interesting film. He did a movie last year called, no, like three years ago. He did Peach Dragon. He did Peach Dragon, which I haven't seen, but apparently it's really good. I loved, he did a movie called Ain't Them Body Saints, which is a gorgeous movie. That's a better better Casey Affleck performance than Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> I think I heard it from you guys, is like it, also has Rooney Mara and Casey yeah, Affleck. Yeah, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck in like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. The visual okay. poetry is like beautiful. Change yeah, visual poetry. Okay, so now my uh, number seven, six, and five. My number seven <laughs> is a tie. <laughs> this is how I've went. <laughs> it's my only tie. It's my only tie because I think thematically these movies are dealing with similar ideas in wildly different ways. So it's Get Out. Cool. I've talked about this before. That movie is fucking phenomenal and it only gets better and better on rewatch. It's, it has this immense rewatchability and it's so good to watch with people who haven't watched it and then you were experiencing the things they're going through. I watched it with my mum and my sister and their reactions to the movie were so good. It's watching that white girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was, there was famous just recently a Twitter thread that Jordan Peele retweeted about like a girl who watched it with her family who'd never seen it and she live tweeted their reactions <laughs> and it's so entertaining. Entertaining. Um, you don't really. It, this is, there's a reason why this low budget horror is on pretty much every critic and filmmaker's top ten list of the year. It is just the dialogue alone. The dialogue alone, the but movie. then the filmmaker yeah. that opening shot. You know the movie you're in for, yeah. and it it tells you what it is, but it's so worth diving into. I think. Um, and then the the one I thought was related is called Mother. Darren Aronofsky's very controversial movie. I'm on the side of absolutely loving it because the technical achievement in that movie is astonishing that last 20 minutes. After we all finish our top 10, I have two movies I need to talk to you three about. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mother is one of them. Mother, mother, the, the, the contained apocalypse of the last 20 minutes is like nothing I've ever seen in a, in a movie ever, in a cinema. It, it it's people didn't like it because it's not a story it's not a narrative it's not a thing it's a parable it is a hardcore parable in cinema for a studio to have produced it is like absurd but so wonderful because it's such daring filmmaking the performance was really good i thought and specifically if you want to be a sound designer watch this movie because the sound design is possibly the best thing after dunkirk i think it is so good but i thought they just kind of pair off because they're about one person being and and just these external forces kind of going after them the ideas that are present in both of them work really well uh my number six is wonder woman i haven't felt this uplifted in a movie the no man's land set i mean the set pieces in this movie patty jenkins set piece work is extraordinary especially the no man's land not only but not only like the movie itself but what it's doing to audiences what it's doing to 
people who are experiencing the movie, I think is a very valuable thing. I, I'm normally like, it should just be about the movie, but I think what this is doing for women, for female filmmakers, but just it's, it's such a good fucking movie. There are bits that I don't like and those bits are very clearly DC Studios saying you need to include this bookends. The movie for me is <laughs> is start of the flashback to the and end of the flashback. And we have to pretend that... Justice League didn't undo a lot of what the good. That yeah, well, I haven't oh, seen Justice totally. League, and I kind of don't intend on watching yeah. it because um, I just I will watch Wonder Woman too, and I will not watch. It. But it, the the set piece work is strong, and that No Man's Land sequence when she deflects that first bullet. If you are not cheering like a motherfucker, there's something wrong with you because it was such. The music, the score on this is <laughs> so good. Um, and then uh, my number five is Raw, a French cannibal coming of age movie. The imagery in this film is so evocative and they're doing it with very simple things. The first two cuts are very good. Like I, I talk, a lot of people kind of cut in movies just functionally. It's, we need to cut to the thing we need to look at to understand the plot. Raw takes its time that every time it's cutting, it means something. Every shot means something. There is thought and decision behind it. It blew me away. And then it had this, this one sequence towards the end where it's just like there's this alarm going off and everyone's kind of just walking out into the open and that imagery is stuck with me for like the whole Her thing. use of wide shots yeah. throughout that yes. film. Oh, yeah. I have never seen oh, just such powerful use of something so simple. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's a very French thing to do, but at the same time, I, I still haven't but seen it. But what it does like is it. the use of the wide shots then when we come in and the finger scene. Yeah. I was throwing up in my mouth. It was so, I think even more so than the more gory scene towards mm. the end, the finger scene was so good. I think the music choice, the performances were really good. I have no idea who any of these actors were, so it was really good in helping, I guess, buying into the story. But uh, it it really blew me away. For a while it was my favourite movie of the year. Cool. So Zane. All right. Uh, my number seven is a Danish film that was released in Denmark in 2015, but released in Australia this year. That is cheating. Called Land of Mine. <laughs> oh, uh, I've heard of this one. I don't know too much about it. the Danish title is Under Sandet, and it's post-World War II. Uh, some German prisoners of war, some young uh, German prisoners of war are forced to clear a beach of mines under the command ah, of Ah, the title is a, a punt. Pardon? The title is a pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the original your Danish eyes one. Is then. It, though? What's the translation? Your eyes there was just perfect. Yeah, I, I'm good at the eye roll. Uh, the original Danish translates to "under the sand." Uh, okay, and so yeah, and it's basically it's like a parlor drama, but in this super contained. Uh, Does it take place all Denmark. just on the beach in the one session, or is it like in that kind of camp? It's okay. not just one session, uh, but it's basically humanising the the young soldiers that were indoctrinated into Nazism. Uh, so it's it's really interesting story, uh, uh, just okay. like historically. Yeah. Um, then number six is Hidden Figures. Okay. Oh, cool. Again, that to me is a yeah. t- the last year movie. Again, That's but a it was released in Australia in 2017. I love that movie. I couldn't put it on my 2016 list because I hadn't seen it because it hadn't okay. been released. Uh, Hidden Figures is, is a great movie. Like I don't, I don't need to. What's interesting about that movie, great performances, great script, 
But the actual filmmaking that went into it, the shots they chose, there is a lot of really subtle things they're doing with the geometry, mm. which actually ties into the whole mathematical themes. They have these geometric shapes. People stand in triangles. People stand in window frames and they frame it outside. There's a lot of work going into it that pretty much no one ever spoke about when they were speaking about because they're like, oh, it's such a great true story. It's a very empowering thing. All that is true, but the actual filmmaking in it was pretty exceptional and Theodore Melfi, I think is his name. Uh, yes. He wasn't prone to that because I saw St. Vincent, which had great performances, great script, pretty mediocre yeah. camera work, whereas Hidden Figures didn't. Hidden Figures had a really good filmmaking behind it. And the performances are why I've put it on my list. Um, Taraji. Oh, Taraji. Yeah. Uh, and then number five is The Florida Project. It is yeah. possibly yeah. my favourite performance of Willem Dafoe at the moment. Uh, back to formula. You, you really got to go back and watch Spider-Man. Him as the Green Goblin. <laughs> the mirror scene is great. There is so much camp in it. It fits the tone so well. Uh, let's talk about the Florida Project. Okay, yes. It is <laughs> It is very tonally similar to his first film, Tangerine, Tangerine which was made on an iPhone. And I think he's really used his extra budget in this film really well. The 35 mil use yeah, in it is, it is exceptional. And the kids' performances are all like just great. How did he pull that out yeah. of children? Honestly, just watching the trailer, I was so yeah, surprised at the yeah. like genuine yeah. nature of these and kids. And it doesn't pull away from like the dirtiness of the poverty. Um, and the world, yeah, it's not, it, unlike it was, to me, it was a really great example of the opposite of Lion. Yes, it wasn't, yeah. it, it, they didn't do poverty porn. It wasn't, look how bad these people's lives are. It just presented them as they are and it used the colours so well and it, it, there was, you know, because there's a whole thing about the idea they live right near Disneyland and yes, yet the places yeah. they live in, there's these magic rockets and magic well, castles. the people in the, in in the film, the people are so grey compared to everything around them that yeah. is painted bright pinks and blues and green. Um, yeah, so the Florida Project is... It's a very complex it, it and rich the, movie. the latest addition to my list. Uh, but, yeah, it's a great film. Yeah. Okay, chance star. All right, so my 765. Seven is The Disaster Artist. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, the feel-good nature of it, uh, and as a filmmaker myself, it, it it was really touching and very fun. And I shouldn't have read the book before watching the movie because I think that kind of spoiled it a little bit for me. Um, but otherwise, great movie all around. Uh, number six, also Wonder Woman. I think what Wonder Woman did... Uh, was so good in the terms because, like, uh, I remember when it was first coming out, people were like, "Going, oh look, they're doing what Marvel did. They're having that Marvel feel about it." And I watched it going and uh, expecting that, but it's not. It, it's doing old school DC. It's yeah, it's doing old school DC. Patty this Jenkins is how DC should Golden be. Age. She and has a she has an expression for it. She it's called grand classic cinema. She was going for grand yeah. classic cinema in every decision, and it's 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 unironic in the best sense of the Absolutely. word. Absolutely, and, and like the humor that comes through isn't that quippy Marvel sort of humor. It's it, it's unique. It, 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 well, not unique. It's it's classic, and the fact that DC literally learnt nothing from that. <laughs> And we're like, no, let's make it quippy. Hey, fucking, let's let's get let's get fucking Avengers on there. Yeah, yeah, do it. Just Sweden in there, and oh, let's get let's God. make the armor bikinis. Fucking oh. hell! Uh, let's make the skirt shorter yeah. and shit. Oh, yeah. There's so many kill yeah. bad choices. And Just people say, say global warming isn't real. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but 
Wonder Woman as a standalone film was just fantastic. Of course, the bookends annoyed the fuck out of me. And but there's such a DC said, you have to do this. Oh, and so absolutely. I feel like Patty Jenkins like, fine, I own this real estate from here to here. This is my <laughs> movie. I will do this for you if you let me own this real estate. And I think that was a smart decision on her behalf because the bulk of that movie is so well made. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and my number five is Battle of the Sexes. Uh, yes. I saw that in the cinemas with you, Shane. And th- that movie was, it was great because I didn't know the whole story behind Neither it. I. Uh, I honestly, like, it took me like halfway through going, oh, wait, this is a true story? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the filmmaking behind it was, ju- like, it It felt of its time so perfectly. Like, uh, there was a thing that you pointed out was that the the use of Zoom's in that film, yeah, it just and like the use of the long lens. They shot on was, thirty-five. It was a no, like a grainier stock. Yep. They that was part of their decision making. They said we wanted to look like this was a movie that was made in the seventies. So it's we're not going to use modern techniques. We're going to use their techniques and make it this way. It was really smart. It, it was a, such a fantastic movie and so much good stuff going on. Uh, Steve Carell, I, I personally think that was one of his best performances. Yeah. Um, Way better than Foxcatcher. I did not like Foxcatcher. I did not see Foxcatcher. It's uh, long and boring. But his performance is still good. It's not the a makeup great did movie, a better performance. performance <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I the would, makeup did a better job than he did. I was oh, going to make that joke, but I haven't seen the movie, so bummer. Yeah. Um, and it's also Emma Stone in a light I haven't seen. I am in yes. love with Emma Stone in every way possible. You know that creepy video Jim Carrey did? That's me 24-7 for Emma Stone. <laughs> uh, and honestly, seeing Battle of the Sexes made me look at her in a whole new light, and I respect her even more now. Um, go Josh. Go me. Uh, my number seven is Dunkirk. Yes. Just that like spectacular like visual and sound like feast. Just like hearing like the and like just the brutality of war and just I love like the editing and like the time different time zones of like what's going on like like the one week on land and one day and see one hour in the air. It's just yeah, awesome film. Uh, spectacular. Just and also seeing it on film was. Just, yeah, we amazing. went and saw a 70 mil screening, which yeah. was the best way to see that movie. Yeah. Um, number six is Creep 2, directed <laughs> by Patrick Bryce. I, need to, I haven't seen Creep 1 uh, yet. I, I won't be- spoil it because I feel like Zane, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I've seen it. I have seen it. You have seen it? Yeah. Okay. Did you not like it or you liked it? I liked it. It, w- it was a good continuation from Creep. Okay. Yeah. Well, I like. I just honestly believe it like, completely retextualized like who he is, like what this person is, and like I just and the performances by Desiree Arkaven, like just amazing. She should be in more stuff. Like I love she her. was amazing she in Creep Two. Yeah, okay. she should. Yeah, and number five is Blade Runner twenty forty nine. This again, like Denis pulled it off. It's just an amazing sequel, and it, like just performances, cinematography, sound, just everything. Uh, bloody best performance from. Um, old mate in a while, so yeah. I thought. What's her, I keep forgetting her name because it's weird and hard to pronounce. The she played oh, the she was evil amazing. robot woman. She was amazing. She was so. That's that scene where she's just crying while talking. I'm like, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do as an actor because you see other actors like Julianne Moore or Bryce Dallas Howard when they do the crying, they're really working on the crying thing. And you would think if they're trying to deliver like a no emotion monologue over that that that's a really difficult thing to pull off and she also had to do the most scenes with Jared Leto are, which are I you can talking imagine. about the 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 
she's ultimate fringe. Fringe, yeah, yeah. She she ultimate fringe. She, woman, she has yes. the fight with Ryan Gosling. Uh, oh, so the Mackenzie Davis? No, 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 no. It's the Frenchish name. Are you, have you got the name up? Anna de Armas? No, no, Joy? no, 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 no. It's not Joy. No, no, Joy. She was really good, but a lot of people rave about her. She was like one of the most googled people. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I, I. She blew me away. She was for me like the MVP of that thing. Uh, just to ruin the movie for you for a second, guys. Um, I swear, no one has brought this up, and I. Maybe. Sylvia Hex, sorry, oh, Sylvia, yeah. Sylvia Hex. Um, and love because I, I know uh, I know a lot of people who watched the movie and they Ooh. didn't like it specifically because of jo- uh, the character of Joy because she was such just a sex object sans sex. That's the point. Yeah, her Everything. name is literally J O I, jerk off in- instructor. Do I watch too much porn or am I... Am I really? No, Maybe you watch too much porn. Maybe. I knew, like, I thought that was the point of I it. I love the theme like, of it. Her, the, the tagline for the product is uh, everything you want to hear. Yeah. And I thought that was so... That revealed the twist right there mm. and you should have seen it coming. It, sh- oh, it was so good. <laughs> cool. Um, anyway, good. Anyway, so that's your... That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's Okay, fine. so mine. So number four for me is Baby Driver. Hey. This is the film... It's I think in the same way that The Hateful Eight for Tarantino is probably his most... It might not be his best film, but it's his most mature film from a filmmaker's perspective. I think Baby Driver is Edgar Wright's most mature film because it's his least gregarious, but it's also his most controlled. I think the level of filmmaking and the detail that went into it, there's a lot of subtle detail um, that goes into it. Like I just recently found out like the graffiti changes in the background. I picked up on one or two things. So I saw that three times in the cinemas um, and I picked up on things and then I've been reading up about it and picking up on all of this stuff that I had no idea about. I thought... Just the filmmaking was so. There was very few people who could. I, I don't even think there's like two or three filmmakers in the world or ever that could pull that movie off. And Edgar Wright is one of them. Tarantino would be another. <laughs> but I'm still waiting for a Tarantino musical, and I mean that he doesn't. He said he 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 loves the form. He would never want to do it, though. He doesn't think oh, he could do it. He's not really on his list. He's only got two movies left. So, and then he's quitting. Um, my number three is Darkest Hour. I raved about this in a couple of episodes ago and then the more I think about it, the better that movie gets because it's the clockwork precision of the filmmaking paired with a performance like that on a story that on paper this should be a really bad Oscar bait biopic and they elevate it in every way they they should be doing that something like uh, The Iron Lady doesn't. The Iron Lady fails. Well, they didn't rely just on a great performance. Yeah. They they put the extra work into the script, into the camera work. And they put work into the performance, whereas I think Meryl Streep Streep felt like she phoned it in for The Iron Lady. I was really pissed off that she beat Viola Davis for the help. I feel like she was held back by the director. Possibly, but she was also kind of just doing an imitation, whereas... He does the imitative things, but he brings such a sense of vulnerability to a character that is known for being this really strong thing. He made some really bold choices, but there's some bold filmmaking choices in the movie and it's, I need to see it again. It comes out this week for us in Australia. I saw an advanced screening. I really want to see it again. It's such an engrossing movie. Joe Wright, it's not, I don't think it's as masterful as Atonement, but it's up there. I think it's one of his best things. Um, And then my number two is Dunkirk. This movie... Mm -hmm. Andre Tarkovsky, the filmmaker, said that film filmmaking, what, the art of filmmaking, is time. 
that is what filmmaking is, where painting is like colour and shape and all that and music is the sound and melody and that. Filmmaking is time and Dunkirk is such a perfect example of that in the way that that is like it's messing with your head. It's doing it in the best possible way. The scale of the filmmaking is huge. The the emotional performances they got out of it, the music, the fucking music in this movie, the cinematography, I think. It's a feat that hasn't really been done. I think the closest that comes to it is something like Titanic, that people don't make movies like this because they either do a bad job of it or they just they don't connect with the audience. And Dunkirk is, is something else. It's so worth seeing. I saw it twice. Um, the 70 mil is definitely better. I saw 70 mil in DCP. 70 mil is infinitely better. Um, but yes, that's my 432. Zane. All right. Uh, my number four is a film called The Hippopotamus based on a <laughs> book written by Stephen Fry. I was going to say... What? The only hip, the hippopotamus I know is the Stephen Fry book. Yeah, it's uh, been turned into a movie and cool. released this year. Uh, have I you read that? the book? No, no, I, I've got it on my so I'm getting those notes. It's <laughs> a very British sort of. Uh, it's a very Stephen Fry comedy about yeah. uh, this disgraced poet who's gone to stay with a, a, a former former friend in their country, Mance. Uh, at the behest of their cousin uh, who's hired him to investigate uh, reports of these miracles that are happening, their miracle healings, because she went there and she was dying of leukaemia and she got a healing and she's no longer dying. And she wants to know, and she didn't tell him anything, she just go there and tell me what you think. And so he goes there and it's it's very British. It's kind of, it's a very witty movie. Uh and the performances across the board are great, uh, and it's, it's that sounds that already got me really intrigued. Yeah. Did Stephen Fry actually, is he involved with the movie? He's at all? not. He's not oh, involved with it. I do have the cast up here. Uh, so it was directed by uh, John Jenks, um, and the screenplay was written by Blanche McIntyre and Tom Hodgson. Good old and then Tom Hodgson, with additional by John Finmore and Robin Hill. Who's the cast? Uh, so the main guy is uh, Roger Allen. I don't even know any of these people. Uh, Tim Charles, Rod Glenn, Amanda Holt, Amy Mer- Marchant, uh, Adrian Boucher, Simon Markey. Wow. You, you'll recognise some of the faces. Yeah. They are those British people that are They in were all on Downton Abbey, obviously. <laughs> some of them. It's, it's a very witty movie and it's... This is this kind of movie appeals to my whitest side, um, <laughs> where it is just it, like honestly, there's no poverty in this movie. It's they're in a, in a in a country mansion dealing with with public uh, interpretation of their work and what it means to uh, like have sons moving forward and carrying on. You know, it's very uh, it's very white and British, but that is something that does appeal to me. Um, in the similar veins, uh, call me by your name. Uh, I think this 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 movie is such a great exploration of character. This is true. Four of the characters felt so real to me that something has happened to me that has never happened to me before. The next day, I experienced something, and I was like what would this character think about? I'm like, oh, 
they're not a real person. Let's not think about them anymore. <laughs> but then I did it again. And as I think you get to know the two main characters pretty well. The main character very, very well. Um, I share Shane's opinion about the sex scenes in this film. There, there was a lot I of... The I made the mistake like you did, Chance, to with um, The Martian when you read the book before seeing the yeah. movie. I read the book and so I was very conscious of what they were censoring. Yeah. And they very consciously censor the intimate, the, the, the physically intimate moments between the two men in favour of expanding upon physically intimate moments between the main character and a woman. Yeah. Very, it, it, very... It, it felt odd but that didn't destroy the film for me. Like it was still a very effective... Uh, exploration of character and scene and setting like uh yeah you really felt that summertime in italy yeah i think there's a scene a third of the way in at the war memorial so i I think i said there's two scenes that got me that i really felt were powerful the scene at the war memorial was a perfect marriage of the filmmaking the performances the writing the music and the location yeah and what's interesting is they deviated from the book because in the book it's just like a, a thing like a something that relates to like a van gogh painting or something like that and they elevated that scene from the book which was hard to do and then the second scene is the father's monologue yes. that everyone's raving about and he's probably going to get or at least be nominated for the oscar purely for that one scene hopefully he does and the father in this just gave me so many warm robin williams feelings yeah like this oh. is, he he channels robin williams in goodwill hunting in the oh. way that he's so empathetic towards whoever he's talking to um so, yeah, that gave me a lot of closure on the, on the loss of Robin Williams. Uh, but that's just personal. Uh, <laughs> number, number two, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, really? Yep. This, this is – I've said it before. I think this is very close to my favourite Marvel film. The only other real contender is Iron Man 3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I got that in there again. You're welcome. Uh <laughs> I feel like we mentioned that every wait, podcast. Don't you we? just wait. <laughs> uh, so Spider-Man Homecoming, it takes the universe and it makes it small again, which is what... That, is, that was the best part yeah. of it. And I think the weakest parts of that movie were when they went to the expanded things yeah. that I didn't give a shit about. At this stage. Uh, also, one of the best villains. Um, who oh, felt Michael real. Keaton, man. I think oh. not one of, I think it's the best yeah, Marvel the villain. Best yeah. He was so understandable and relatable. I think that's what makes Kylo Ren so compelling for me too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think we're getting better villains now, which hasn't happened in well, the, forever. The thing is, Michael Keaton in that movie is right. Like The yeah. Vulture yeah. is yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get wrong. me wrong. I like Loki, but Loki, uh, he involves so much on, oh, I'm a witty, fun guy. Yeah. But he's an this archetype is real. he's literally a god. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, and they've destroyed Loki now with Thor, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully they don't do that with the Vulture. I, I do hope we see more of him, but I hope they don't make him a I would big kind, bad. I kind of would like him to not come back ever again because that was so good. I don't think, I, I don't want him to, come back as a like as maybe some as, as a reference that it makes something happen like if they're in the prison or something i don't want him as another i don't want him as a recurring villain definitely not yeah. um because yeah. at the moment uh, like but this again, is marvel end, it is so he's gonna it is be marvel someone could ruin it or yeah. it's the mcu marvel where they kill either kill them off or they keep <laughs> them for too long it's yeah. fuck off 
And yeah, so that's my number two, Spider-Man Homecoming. Cool. So uh, just something a bit new. My number four is Spider-Man Homecoming. (laughs) Uh, I would say that it is my favorite Marvel film. If maybe second favorite, the only one other contender would be (laughs) Iron Man 3. (laughs) No shit, literally. I'm Iron Man 3, Guardians 1. Yeah, uh, Guardians Mm. is definitely up there. And and one of the things- Avengers 1, Spider-Man Homecoming. I think Spider-Man Homecoming did so well as A, the scope. It brought it down and made it small. That's what I love about specifically Daredevil Season 1 and Jessica Jones. Mm. They are small, contained stories that are personal. That's what this film was. It was a personal story. So so it raised the stakes for the character, not for the world. Um, uh, And also the fact that the comedy felt the most genuine from the Marvel films uh, like Guardian, I get, and I, I, I accept that because that's the sort of character it is, but that's the same sort of character Peter Parker is, which is because I have experience with the comics, I accept this sooner. I'm like, yeah, no, I get this. This is... Well, so with Guardians, it felt like the tone, the comedy was coming from the tone and from the filmmaker, whereas Spider-Man, the comedy is coming from the characters yes. specifically yeah, yeah, and from all of them, whereas like Peter Quill has pretty much all the laughs and maybe mm. and Rock Raccoon. Yeah. And then everything else, whereas Spider-Man Homecoming was purely from the characters. Yeah. It felt really organic. And a really strong supporting cast. Yes. yes. That wasn't Zendaya like- is continually surprising yeah. me. She had nothing in The Greatest Showman and she still <laughs> did something with it, yep. which that's <laughs> so hard to do. Um, so, yeah, that's my number four, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number th- three is The Babysitter. Yes. The Babysitter is one of the most refreshing movies I've seen in a long time. And, and that being said, it reminds me a lot of, uh, like, those 80s B-movies and stuff that we, we've talked about. Uh, yeah. It's very much inspired by Italian horror films. It did a lot of stuff that uh, that filmmakers like Sam Raimi does where continuity doesn't matter as much because of the world they've uh, invented. It's this hyper-real yeah. world. Yeah. And, and like half of it feels like it doesn't need to be hyper real, but at the same time it works so and well they did it because really well it is. With the sound design in that movie. The sound, they desi- the sound so design in work. that movie is second only to Mother. Oh, I was going to say my number two pick, oh. Raw. Raw. <laughs> uh, Raw was just honestly astonishing and uh, and it took so long for another movie to kick it out of you, first place for me you me and tim burns who will be a guest next week oh yes on the pod- no, 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 next in two week. weeks on the podcast all two weeks um uh he we all went so saw it and i think we we're all just kind of going to see it because it's the movie they're giving vomit bags to and i was yeah. like i want to see this controversial fun exactly. silly movie and i was like oh fuck, this movie is so well made. What it is, and because I went in expecting a horror film, expecting a thriller film, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Hannibal Lecter series. I don't know what it is about cannibalism that draws me to it. Possibly I think I, I know, John Stone. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> whew, I am getting a bit hungry, guys. Um, Do we have but, a nice Chianti? <laughs> <laughs> but there was just... From beginning to end, that movie was astonishing. And the filmmaker herself, and it's something that she's, I, I really need to see her her short films because she had only done short films up until so that this point. Is first, this is a first feature? Yeah. Fuck me. And Amazing. What you feel she inadequate does, now, Shane? I feel very inadequate <laughs> now. Uh, Jordan, Get Out is a first feature. <laughs> Raw is a first feature. How shit's Red Curtain Hell though, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> now um, available on Vimeo On Demand. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest plug ever. Um, but yeah, uh, what she does is she uses 
the tropes, the, the, the language of horror and she tells different genres. So Raw is not a horror film. It is a coming-of-age story and it everything about it is coming of age. Just so happens she's cannibal and, you know, blood and gore and that. And I think that's really – and just fucking, fucking good movie, guys. Watch it. It's, it's on so SBS On Demand. Do it. Just, Go, Josh. Just so good. <laughs> Okay, so my number four pick is The Disaster Artist. Yes. Um, it was a, just emotionally resonating, uh, hilarious, but like, su- like had a surprising amount of heart. Like, man, like, mm. like really, like, I really empathized with him. And, like, just we all want to, in our creative pursuits, be recognized and, like, just be good and, like, be loved. And, like, the fact that he wasn't, he always had to be the villain. He was just like, I just really connected to that. And I'm surprised with how much heart they infused with the movie. So that was number three. My number three. Three. Well, that's number four. Number three is I Am Evrina. It's uh, Which I don't. I am Evrina. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, it's uh, uh, just I because it was better than Spider Man Homecoming. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I actually kind of forgot to put Logan and Spider Man Homecoming on my list as well. It's just like <laughs> you already got fourteen movies. You can't have any more. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah. Directed by Fantastic Macon movie. Blair. So he. Um, He's best friends with the director Jeremy Solo, Sonia, who, uh, who, who did, did uh, Blue Ruin and Green Room. Oh, where, really? Yeah, yeah. He's so best friends. Oh. He's in. He's in Green Room. He's in. Yeah, he's in both movies as well. I didn't realize he, was, he also showed up. What movie was I watching? He's in the Florida Project. He shows up yeah. randomly yeah. in the middle of the Florida Project. <laughs> yeah, and I believe like this film could take place in the same universe as those films. Though it doesn't have this same level of depressing quality to him. Like yeah. it has hope to it, and. Like hilarious, like Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood, both in the movie. Like, Mel- Melanie Linsky did yeah. such a good job in that movie. Mm. And yeah. like Elijah Wood just as this like hilariously angry guy, both of them angry at the world and uh, angry at assholes. <laughs> and he's just like got this almost like inferiority complex. He has these like nunchucks and like ninja stars and everything. And he's just walking around. And he's like, son of a bitch. What I've, what I've got to say is, uh, well, what was that director's name? Sorry. Macon Blair. Macon Blair and the guided green room. Jeremy Saulnier. What they do really well, and I saw it in Ten Cloverfield Lane and Guillermo del Toro does it a lot, is their use of violence and the way that it doesn't glorify the violence. It's just like, look how violent it is. It just so much more realistic because the violence isn't embellished with filmmaking. It just happens and that almost makes it more terrifying, more affecting. Uh, One of the most violent, uh, best violent moments in, in film that I can think of. Oh, Raw does it as well. Um, is in uh, green room. Uh, that too. I was going to say green room. The po- the the Stanley knife across the stomach. Yeah, it, it just happens. Oh. Uh, Pacific Rim with the um the sta- uh, punching the face with the the bottle and his nose caves in. It, uh, it, Pan's labyrinth. Pa- what did I say? Pacific, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. The giant robot. The bottle. The bottle to the nose. Yeah. yeah. He calls it. Guillermo del Toro calls it. He's, it's he makes his movies and they're very peculiar movies and he. He'll set you up for the world they're in and then he gives you a walkout moment where if you can't stomach this, get out of the movie because you're not going to like what comes next. <laughs> and he designs all these movies like that. Uh, the Shape of Water is – he has one. It's the – Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that uh, oh, I just did a for, – for our <laughs> listeners, I just did a gesture that looks that really weird to our two co-hosts who have no idea the understand. movie. Um, <laughs> but he calls it his workout, walkout moment. It's the yeah. moment I, – I, I technically have one in Red Curtain Hell too. It's the joke about Down yeah. Syndrome. Um, you have that in the trailer, man. I do. Uh, it's <laughs> That's walkout. your walkout moment. That's my walkout moment. <laughs> the last um, line of the trailer. And, but it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's The violence in Del Toro mm. stuff is great. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it's really well established in um, – uh, I, I don't, don't feel, feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah. It's a very so, long title. 
Yeah, and it's very funny, like also like like surprisingly funny. Yeah, and, like that moment where it's like where he spoils the book for her. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was just I felt the hatred. I was like, oh boy. This <laughs> like, oh. yeah. So my number two pick is Get Out by yes. wonderfully directed by Jordan Peele. Man, like we just, you have to come over, chance that we have to watch it. I will yeah, watch it I again. I will. Like, we, do a, we need to do a marathon, guys. We need to do another well, one. Well, yeah, like, we're, we're due for one. Uh, brilliant setups and brilliant payoffs for everything. Just yeah. like brilliant acting, like across the board. And Daniel just, Kaluuya, Kaluuya in the chair with the hypnotism oh, scene—that is something else. I also with like her eating the cereal. Yes, yes. As well. <laughs> With the, what's the song? Is it, isn't it like girls just want to have fun or something? It's something really so, yeah. terrible song. Just like the pictures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what's, what, what a massacre. And then I just love uh, John Peel's commitments to the movie and like how he's like, there's classes sprung up about around the film and he attends like the college classes in the back of a hoodie on and he's like, oh, I have an opinion about this film and everyone turns around and they're like, yeah. oh, and this is like, it's so empowering, so beautiful, and like I'm excited to see where he goes the next. With what yeah, he wants to do. Oh, well, he's doing. I can't. I'm so keen on his Twilight Zone reboot. You have yeah. no idea. Oh, yeah, he is doing that. He's rebooting. It's official. I think it's is it at Fox or no CBS. He's doing, and it's for CBS All Access. I think they're really pushing the All Access um, with Star Trek Discovery and and the good, okay. The so good fight we'll, we'll get it. So, as yeah, well, like, we'll get it. Well, yeah, because CBS just bought. Channel 10, or they're buying Channel 10 in Australia here, so we are going oh, right. yeah, oh, to get to CBS All Access again. here, which is going to be so Yeah, we're going to free to air again. Yeah, no, no. Well, no, 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 because they'll bring All Access, so we just stream. Oh, okay, cool. It'll be amazing. That's all right. Then. Sorry, we are now on to our number one. Number one. I was going to do a drum roll, and I'm like, that won't sound on the microphones properly. No, it won't sound like a drum roll. My number one, for anyone who knows me, this is going to be absolutely no surprise. It is The Shape of Water. I'm not surprised. What a surprise. I, it's, it's hard. I will. I will I, I, talking about this movie, I will occasionally tear up if I talk about certain sequences, oh. that one sequence in the middle. Yeah. it's such a transportive movie it's the filmmaking is beyond anything this year i think the performance like it's just it's such a cohesive movie all the way through can i go do you want to go see it again i want to see it again and again and again and again i could see that movie infinitely and it will never go this week sometime it not only i think it's del toro's best movie i think it's my favorite movie of all time. And my top five has not changed in a very long time. I can't make that call until I see it again. I officially can't. I don't want to do that based on a single viewing. Officially can't. Like the, officially the can't. judges the laws. won't allow it's it. The laws. <laughs> it's the laws, you know, Simon Cowell, you know. Um, but it, it it's such a human story. It's such an urgent movie. It's so perfectly designed, so perfectly directed. But Outside of that, the way I've started listening to Guillermo del Toro talking about how he made the movie and his thoughts and process, and it has fundamentally changed the way I'm going to make movies because I, I feel like I'm like just going. It's it, it blew me away. It is. I mean, anyone who doesn't watch the trailer, watch the trailer. Go watch. Just watch the fucking movie. But it's it's as genuine and sincere and alive as a movie can be. Uh, I say I feel like I'm like blowing up into proportion for everyone else, but for me personally, it it's it's a masterpiece. It's a, it's an, a masterpiece of our time. It's his best film. It's probably my favorite film of all time. It 
it, the blend of genres in it is like nothing else. It is a musical. It is a comedy. It is a spy thriller. It is a fantasy. It is a sci-fi. It is a relationship drama. It is a love story and what a love story. It, and then you find out they made it on like $19.5 million. It's just insane. It, it, is the, it is the best movie of the year for me, like 100, 100%. That's why you put it at number one. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, Zane. Now, I haven't seen Shape of Water. I fully intend that it will be my favourite film <laughs> for a long time. Pan's Labyrinth is right up there at the top of my list. That after is Tarantino. Rivaling Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's it's always part of the list that I don't know where it goes because it deserves to be at the top, but so do a number of other things. Yes. That being said, it's on all of your lists, either honorable mentions or top tens. My top movie of this year is Get Out. Yeah, cool. yep. just because it does something with that suspense thriller horror that hasn't been done before. I'm not spoiling it. Okay, cool. I'm not spoiling it because uh, it also touches on exploitation films. It also touches on like like race and totally. and the and the stereotypes that are in horror movies that they actually pay off in this movie, where it's always the the black characters going, "Don't do that. Why would you do that? That is the ridiculous thing to do." Yeah, and then yeah, and that is kind of the the premise of the whole movie. And it it works so well. The dialogue and the uh, the way that it builds throughout the movie. It's you're always waiting for it to either switch on or twist, and it just doesn't. It just builds, and your worst fears just come to. Truth. I have a question to ask yes. because you are the only other person I know who has seen the skeleton key. Mm-hmm. When I was watching that, and I was trying to figure out what it was, I would. I hooked onto the skeleton key and it's this, I think intentionally so, it's the same, the twist is the same. Yes, yeah. To a very close extent, I think the switching of the race yeah, yeah. in that was a very deliberate choice. But because of that, I've the, the, my first viewing of Get Out, I felt a little disappointed because I was like, oh, I've seen, I know, I knew it. I knew what the ending was. Rewatching it, I, yeah, yeah. did you pick up on that when watching it or no? Yes, it, it's very, it's very obvious. But I think that that, like like you said, the switching of the race is what this movie is about. Yeah, um, and that kind of movement forward through history, where it's where the black people are no longer the bad guys. Mm. Yeah, so it's my number one. Cool. I just want to like, sorry, there was a note about the shape of water that I was caught up in the stupid <laughs> of talking about it. When I watch like a really good movie, I think you all sort of have this when you're caught up in that movie after you watch it, and you're in that floating along on wherever that and then after a few days or a few weeks for a really good movies that feeling kind of dies down and then you watch it again you'll be back with the shape of water for me and this is the first time a movie has done this is that i watched it and i loved it and then the more i thought about it it was like this feedback loop that it got better and better the feeling and even now like i'm literally talking with goosebumps on my fucking arms right now <laughs> it is pretty cold the 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 it, it's only getting better and better and it has not stopped it's 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 it never happened with any movie ever so sorry anyway cool. chance to your number one back to my number one thanks guys uh so like i said uh, it took a long time for Raw to get off the number one <laughs> of the year, and that's because I didn't see it until the last day of the year. Uh, it was Hellboy 3, 
The Shape of Water. Uh, <laughs> it's not the Hellboy 3 we thought we wanted, but it's yeah. the Hellboy 3 we deserve. Isn't it Hellboy 0.5? Yeah, I guess. It's, it, it's like, it's a prequel yeah. all about Abe Sapien and how he had sex. Um, but no, o- honestly, uh, there's nothing I can say about it that Shane hasn't already, except for the fact that it's interesting. It's interesting that we saw it in the same cinema as well, the same exact cinema. Uh, La La Land, which came out the yeah. year before, which is entirely a love letter to cinema. And personally, I loved La La Land, but I don't think that it handled it as well as it could have. Shape of Water did La La Land better than it, La La Land. Exactly, because it was a love letter to cinema, but that wasn't the plot. That was just there. Whereas La La Land was like, how much do you love cinema? I love cinema. Let's make a movie it did, about and it cinema. Did it, cinema, it, did cinema. it in a single scene what took La La Land two hours and six minutes to do. Yeah. Which what is, a good two hours and six minutes. Oh, it's a great two hours. <laughs> and I love La La Land was my favourite movie of 2016. I think it was mine as well. It I was – it's – it's, um, but it it's just so flawless. The Shape of Water does it. So it seems so effortless, but he said that about his movie. He said, I wanted to make a movie that was in love with love and in love with cinema. Yeah. And he did it. It's such an, un, it, it, we talk about like un, like Wonder Woman being an unironic movie. The yeah. Shape of Water is the perfect example uh, of that. I think it's interesting that that's coming out the same time as something like Star Wars, where Star Wars is Star Wars and Blade Runner are like, you're not special, nothing special. Whereas... Uh, you've got these really genuine films like Wonder Woman and uh, Shape of Water coming out that are really like oh, hopeful and really... to me, Blade Runner's not being ironic. Blade Runner twenty five, and that yeah. it's they're deconstructing these ideas that we've put on narratives, mm. um, but in the way that the, uh, the Shape of Water is still deconstructing, but in a completely, it's not like here's the deconstruction of it all. But yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I was going to say, make a joke about opening night being the best because it's practically just Red Curtain Hell, uh, (laughs) but with a bigger budget. And then I was just going to end it with Fuck You, Shane. But Shape of Water was real good. So go, Josh. Yes, so my number one is Raw. Yeah. Because we can all agree. (laughs) Because you haven't seen Shape of Water yet. (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't seen Shape of Water or Lady Bird yet. So I'm really excited for those two. Um, Raw just, it just hit me hard. Like this, like... Uh, from editing, everything technical and everything like emotional from that movie just like captivated me, made me sick. But like this, like felt this pressure on my chest where I couldn't move, I couldn't stare away. Like it was beauty and it was disgusting and like the supreme stillness of it all, but also like, and like everything. Supreme from, stillness, that's a really good way to describe that movie. Mm, just like, because it's like slow. It's not, it's not like boring it's just like you're there it's deliberate it's deliberate and you're waiting and you're just anticipating and it builds and builds and builds and i love the power like the parallel with the coming of age like infused with it like that's brilliant and yeah it made me I love it, and I, but I can't wait to see Shape of Water. That's good. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. That's for, oh, I have. Oh, you have. I have. An, I need to ask okay. the opinion on neither of my honorable mentions on my top ten were Dunkirk yeah. or Mother because I'm conflicted about these two. Movies. I haven't seen Mother, so I haven't seen either. So they, you mentioned when you mentioned Dunkirk, you mentioned Mother, or you, you mentioned Dunkirk when you were talking about Mother, and the it sound. is a kind of film. Where it's not about a story. Yeah. It's about an atmosphere. And an idea. So I walked out of Dunkirk and I was like, 
I don't, I don't know what I watched. I don't know how I feel about it. I walked out of Mother very angry. Uh, because <laughs> at the movie or at what happened in the movie? At what happened in the movie. Yeah. I, I think that Mother the movie is very good at what it wanted to do because it wanted to be this metaphorical parable and it's like it wanted to make you angry at what this woman was going through and what was yeah. being done to her. Uh, and I think Dunkirk wanted you to feel this hopelessness and this... this tension. Yeah, well, yeah, this the, the tension and, and the, the weariness and the kind of determination that was... But it didn't really have a story... Uh, and so I, I don't, I don't think they qualify. To be honest, I just wanted to know what you guys. To think. me, and specifically from listening to Guillermo del Toro talk about movies in that in the way he has, he talks about it because he has a really interesting point that what's happened with the conversation about movies and how we judge it is based almost exclusively on plot and character, and what we don't talk about a lot is the cinema, is the filmmaking, and it's like if you. Van Gogh wasn't a good painter because he painted buildings and self-portraits and flowers. It was how he painted it. It was the brush strokes. It was the colours. It was the framing. It was the type of paint. He used the texture on the thing. And it's we don't talk about cinema like that. We talk about it. My, my thing with The Big Sick is that I thought it was a really great story, really poorly made, because there was no cinema to it. And... To me, Dunkirk and Mother are, that's why they're on my top tens, is they are cinema almost to the exclusion of plot Well, that's kind of character. my point is, like, they are. Like, I couldn't tell you anything about the character of Jennifer Lawrence in Mother. She didn't have a character. She is just an archetype. But for she her to play that, woman. I thought, was really extraordinary to, for an actor because well, how do you tell an actor, you're, to, how do you give an actor that script and how do you have them pull off anything that resembled what she did? I thought that was her best... One of her best performances since I, I don't I don't disagree, but I'm just I, I and I agree that Dunkirk and Mother like use uh, uh, cinema for the sake of cinema. Yeah. Um, whereas I would compare it to something like Call You by Your Na- Call Me by Your Name, which uses those those same, which is very cinematic. Yeah. But it's all about character. Yeah. So it uses cinema for character rather than using a say the Dunkirk, the situation for cinema. I, th- I think Dunkirk and Mother both use cinema for the, it's not just cinema for cinema, it's cinema for the experience. When you're there, you're, you felt, you were like, and even the people who hate Mother, like for a movie to be that divisive is important. Like to me, the worst kind of movie is a movie that you watch and then you forget. Do you think people who don't appreciate cinema for cinema's sake, if they're just going, they, if they just like watching movies, do you mm. think that they would appreciate I think they appreciated Dunkirk, Dunkirk more. I think your... You're, Dunkirk wasn't confrontational. No. Mother was very, very, very confrontational. Well. I think Dunkirk, people sort of liked and they were able to follow. There is plot of, you know, the guy's going to the ship, yeah. he's running out of fuel... And um and what's the other plot? They're trying to get across the boat, and they've got the drowned guy who's saying no. There is plot to it. It's just, I mean, they're they're very tiny. They're very they're not very eventful things because you have that melding of time of one week, one day, one hour. That to me yeah. was what grabbed me about that movie. I but think I think it's really interesting though that you point out the big sick who was on Don Josh's mm-hmm. top ten, yeah, top fourteen or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but you say it's not on yours because it was shot poorly 
Whereas, it's not so just you, that it was you, shot poorly. It's it's not just how it was shot. It's that no, just other the, they they're like we've got a great script and great performances, so we don't need to care about anything. Yeah, okay. So, but script and performance without cinema. But what's cinema without script and performance? But it has script and it has performance. They are just not the typical kind. That's a difference between. Uh, something like a very experimental film, I yeah. think, to me, is a very different thing. And Mother is a little more experimental, but there is a character or an idea of a character. So I find it interesting, because I haven't seen Mother, though I know Darren Aronofsky's work, and it's interesting because I am a fan of Darren Aronofsky's work in the sense that it is cinema. I never leave a Darren Aronofsky film without feeling something, even yeah. if like completely yeah. after I'm exhausted and I'm fucked. He makes me feel, which is impressive. Uh, uh, but it sounds like this is like the most Darren Aronofsky film possible. It's like he takes away everything else. This is Darren Aronofsky he the film. Like, it's the most and the least at the same time. Make point. you angry, which like, is every single angry. one of his films. So yeah. then at the same time, it also makes me think of Lars von Trier, and Lars von Trier does yeah. the same it's thing. Lars von Trier, but, but better. It's that, actually, that's how I uh, described Darren Aronofsky in the first place. Uh, it, but no, I think I because they don't exclude character and plot. They don't. They they're, just they're, they're, they're not as important. But to me, something like The Big Sick, and it's like The Shape of Water is the complete polar opposite of it because every it, it, form is content. Uh, Del Toro says it is the uh, way you. He doesn't make eye candy. He makes eye protein. Eye protein. Form Everything is, you see the way, means something. The difference between mm-hmm. a dolly or a, so mother is shot from three shots. That's the whole movie. It's over her shoulder, in front of her face, or I think looking at her from a, a wider shot, and the entire movie is her experience, yeah. and it puts you in the middle of her experience. Dunkirk is the same thing the time because he he said he made it to be about how they were experiencing these things for these guys that one week on the beach at dunkirk was as draining as that one hour in the plane so i think i think they're both as cinematic as you can get yeah oh i wasn't saying they weren't (laughs) cinematic i was just interested because they didn't appeal to me because they didn't give me the whole Kit and caboodle. Yeah, where, whereas, whereas I, think, I don't know that they didn't give the whole; they just didn't give the usual. But which they I were think is successful about of crafting our reality. Yeah. And well, that's when I walked out of Dunkirk and I wasn't satisfied. I was like, "Well, no, it's really well made. Everything was mm. perfect, but it felt empty to me." Yeah, and I felt the same with Mother. Was that it gave me one thing, a lot of it, and not much else. <laughs> So, you know, I was just interested in what you, yeah. you guys thought about that. Yeah, Cool. Okay, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening. If you have your top ten, send us through. Contact us on Facebook or at the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Picture Rangers. You can send us an email at motionpicturerangers at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Shane M underscore Anderson. I'm at Twitter at that Sundance KD, Sundance Kid, so capitals. Uh, I'm at Twitter at Chancester, but even better on Instagram at The Chancester. And I'm at Zane C. Weber. Um, and you can find this and many other great podcasts on iTunes under that's not canonproductions.com, available on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, once again, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. That's not kind of productions podcast. Good God, aliens are attacking. What do we do, guys? 
we will broke for peace. Maybe there's still a chance they'll listen. Fire every missile we have at that godforsaken mothership. And pray to God that it works. No, none of these ideas are going to work. I've got it. What we need to do is tell every citizen to leave their homes naked and just tell them to have sex with toasters in the street. The aliens will be so confused, they'll just sod off. If you'd like to see the alternate takes on political issues ranging from big to small, subscribe to a New World Order podcast at www.thatsnotkindofproductions.com forward slash a new world order. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.